Coming up, we have the mogul of Memphis, the mogul of golf, and the mogul of merchandise. Yeah, it's a big pot. It's all next. This episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast is presented by State Farm. If you've ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened, your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right at first half of the first game. I don't know, West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, 5.30, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at MichelobUltra.com slash courtside, LDA, 21 and up. We're also brought to you by the Ringer Podcast Network, where I hope you're checking out the Prestige TV podcast. Joe House and I are going to tape later today, Winning Time, episode one. That will run on Sunday night, right after uh, it premieres on HBO. It's a really good show. Uh, we have a lot of thoughts about it, especially as people who grew up in the 70s and 80s loving the NBA. So check out the Prestige TV pod. I also think we're doing The Dropout. I think we're covering that on uh, on Friday. We hit Severance as well. A lot of good shows coming up on the Prestige TV pod. Check that out. Rewatchables. We are done with f Up Family February, and we're back with some famous movies that you've heard of starting next Monday. So hope you check that out. FanDuel Sportsbook. I hit my same game parlay. Last week, or like yesterday, last night, Milwaukee, Miami, nailed it. It was like plus 450. So now I'm on a hot streak. We're going to try another parlay for FanDuel on Friday that they're going to boost. I'm going to pick two games or uh, a game in and over and do some sort of parlay for that. Go to FanDuel Sportsbook. Check it out. Uh, all right, so we're going to do the podcast in one second. We have Chris Vernon. And Joe House. Joe House is here in LA with me. Chris Vernon is in Memphis. He's going to explain to us what it's like when somebody like John Morant just blows up in your town. And we're going to talk about that. LeBron and the Lakers, a whole bunch more. House and I are going to talk about the MLB lockout. Just what is the outcome that we want here? Is there a chance to kind of blow up baseball and change it and make it better? And then last but not least, Michael Rubin, um, who is the CEO of Fanatics. He's a part owner of the Sixers and he's up to a whole bunch of stuff. I interviewed him over Super Bowl week, had been saving it for the right time to run it. I think he is an absolutely fascinating guy for a lot of reasons. I think he holds the keys to a lot of what being a sports fan in the 2020s and 2030s is going to be. You'll hear it when we do the interview. Um, some of the stuff that he's up to, I think is going to affect everybody who loves sports. and seems like for the better, but that's one of the things we'll talk about with him. So that is all. Next, uh, before I get to the podcast though, 
Jonathan Sharks, who uh, writes for TheRinger.com and has been on this podcast a bunch of times, he wrote a beautiful piece for us today about all the struggles that he's been having the last couple of years. He's been diagnosed with cancer and he's been battling it. He's been working almost the entire time. It's been one of the most amazing things that I've seen just professionally, the, the, uh, the resilience of him. But he wrote a piece today that I think is one of the most special pieces we've had, not just at The Ringer, but dating back to the Grantland days too. And I would encourage you to go to the website and to check it out. And you can hear Sharks on the uh, Ringer NBA show as well. But um, man, that guy is really something. The piece is really something. Go check it out. It's on theringer.com. Anyway, um, let's do the podcast. Here's Pearl Jam. All right, Joe House is here. Our friend Chris Vernon is here live from Memphis. He's riding a high. I heard you on the mismatch the other day talking about what it was like to be at that Spurs game in person. I wanted to even go bigger picture than this because what's going on with Ja right now is so special and it's so much fun when it organically just happens, when everybody kind of looks around and goes, oh my God, we have not just a star, but this is like a generation altering person potentially. And this guy's young and he's going to be in my life for the next 10 to 15 years, potentially. This happened to me when I was living in Boston in the, uh, in 1979, 1980, Larry Bird showed up. And at some point during his rookie year, we all realized like, oh my God, like this is, I can't believe this. We won the lottery. This has never happened to you house. You never had this for basketball. <laughs> no, I, I'm serious. Like, how we talked about it. House, you've you've not not even really come close in basketball, right? I mean, for a minute, it felt like we might have that with a little John Wall, but but not really. Hockey's the probably the closest with Ovechkin. Oh, Ovi. All right. So, Chris, yeah. when when did you know? Because you would always we would argue about this, and you were telling us even last year, Jaws special, Jaws special. I'm telling you, Jaws special. And we were like, whatever. He can't shoot threes yet. No, I, we don't see it. So I've got a weird deal. And my, my wife will attest to this. So when he was in college, we used to watch the games on ESPN Plus, my son and I, because my wife went to Murray State. And I'm actually going to give you credit for this. And I don't know if you will even remember it. But in the first podcast that you did with Durant, you asked him, you were like, you're a big hoops head. You like college basketball. He is the first person I ever heard talk about John Morant. Wow. He brought it up on your podcast. And he said, there's a kid at Murray State. I can't remember which camp he had seen him at. It, I don't think it was Kevin's camp, but one of those camps, right? They do all those Nike camps. And he's like, the one I love is the kid at Murray State, John Morant. And I perked up when he said that. And I'm like, Murray State? I was like, hold on a second now. Um, and so then I start looking the kid up. He had a pretty good freshman year and then he starts taking off that sophomore year and we start watching him. Like I'm seeking him out and I'm watching him. And of course I totally fell in love. I mean, you could even go back in when he was in college, 
I was I was tweeting about this kid. I loved him. And, and so, you knew you knew at that point you had a chance to get a top three pick and it was Zion and it was John. And it was our. Well, no, we didn't. We tried to give the pick away to you guys. Oh, my God. You're <laughs> right. Tried to give right. Away it was the protected. Pick. It was protected. We, it was a protected pick. And they acquired Avery Bradley and Jonas Valanciunas and all these guys. That's why everybody like every once in a while, people will be like, oh, yeah, Vernon, you're against tanking. But look at what tanking got you. And I'm like, you got this all wrong. They won 30 something games because they wanted it to be the worst possible pick because they were having to convey it. And so they tried to win every game down the stretch. Then it gets to the lottery and they mm. get second. And this is what my wife will tell you. I walked into the other room and I told her everything just changed. Mm. Everything. Because I knew that it's Zion and Morant. And if you got one of those, I loved Morant coming out. And I must tell you this, though. He is so much better than I could have ever expected. In terms of wait, hold that thought because yeah. I just want to point out House walked into his his wife's office. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. The day the, the day the wizard signed Gilbert Arenas. And he was like, Honey, everything has changed. We have stolen Gilbert Arenas from the Warriors. And he went, and you were you weren't wrong, House. Things changed. Well, you know what? Uh, honestly, the most scintillating moment in in the DC sports scene history over the last decade was drafting RG three, trading all those draft picks, moving up in the draft. He really was a, a transcendent talent. He just couldn't. He only he only survived one season. That's all. Yeah. All right, Berna. So, Jaws in. You know he's good. What What was Was there a moment before? Well, he the wins. Season? He wins Rookie of the Year. Yeah. I mean, but a lot yeah. of guys have done that though. This yeah, is but, what's going on this year is different. Like I Oh no, you I personally tell, didn't see this. You could tell his rookie year that he was really special. And I think when the big turning point was the 47 on the road against Utah in the playoffs last year. That was when it was like, oh my God. Like this is when the stakes are highest. And if you go back and look, the stakes were highest. They when he played an amazing game at Golden State. They knocked Golden State out. Golden State was supposed to be in the playoffs, and they not, and they had to beat them at Golden State. And so he stepped up there, and then they got to the playoffs, and it was too much. I mean, they were overpowered by that Utah team, but he had 47 points against, you know, the greatest defender in the history of the game and a Utah defense, the number one seed. They were the number one seed. Last year. And so I think that was like the turning point. And so it was very hopeful. Like once you score 47 in the playoffs, um, and then you're very hopeful that you come back the next season and that he can, uh, you know, be even better. Uh, and they try to make this. some moves, but not, uh, come on. Who How, so it was this? also the turning point for Verno's marriage because he has like, <laughs> A hundred job rant rookie cards because oh. he was all in. Oh, oh you have he didn't he did the yeah. thing where he's like, I don't have enough at stake professionally already with this <laughs> guy. I'm also gonna buy a hundred of his rookie cards. You have no idea how many <laughs> Morant rookie cards I have. It is it is extreme. It's extreme. And paraphernalia too. I mean, I got two kids, and I bet I bet there are at least twelve. Morant jerseys or shirt jerseys in my house. At least. At least. 
I mean, they come out, you know, now the NBA, they come out with five different versions and an all-star one and a rising stars one and uh, you know, every kind of jersey you could imagine. He, My son wants all of them. So House, I said on the podcast like four weeks ago, I was talking about Ja and the stuff he was doing when he was going to the basket and the stuff in the air and double clutch stuff and his ability to just over and over again, surprisingly dunk on people or get layups and and I was really careful about it because I was scared because, he, you know, MJ is like the third rail. Just comparing anyone to MJ or Magic or Bird, it's just you're just terrified the whole time. Social media, things get thrown. But I was just like, look, we, we were there. We were in high school and college for the early MJ when he was just over and over again, just going to the basket and doing crazy shit. And we were just like, I've never seen anything like this before. What is This is amazing. And I did feel like he had a piece of that. That Spurs game he played on Monday night, which I know all three of us saw, that was what it was like to watch young MJ. Because at some point during that game, the Spurs were like, fuck this, you're not getting 50. You're just not. You're not doing this. They have DeJounte Murray, who's, I think, one of the better defensive guards in the league. And Jazz like, no, I'm actually going to get 50. And the Spurs say, no, you're really not. We're going to double team you over midcourt. You're just not getting it. And he's like, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get it. I'm still going to go in. I'm going to go all these different ways on top of all the stuff he did in the first half with the, the full court play the the, uh, the dunk, like house, this was what it was like for us in the late eighties with MJ. Am I, am I crazy saying that? No, because I understand the point you're making, which is that body control, that levitation. Now to, to me, my mind's eye conjures up other guards, other mm. guys that are like stature wise closer to Ja, and my mind's eye sees a little Allen Iverson, uh, both in terms of the fearlessness in going to the to the rack, um, and also that body control, and and also um, some Derrick Rose, the explosiveness of Derrick Rose in in his you know that his MVP year before the injury. Um, both of those guys, you know, I kind of see uh, you know Ja channeling the Ja's the evolutionary like a combo of all those guys. But I understand the point you're making with MJ and it's, it's undeniable that um, Ja possesses whatever that thing is, that ability to, you know, contort himself in ways to protect the ball in, in ways that keeps the defense completely off guards. And, and he's unstoppable uh, in that. Well, way. and like surprisingly, like just, just a game to game play to play there's this surprising athletic stuff that he does that brings me back to also young Kobe was like this too. He, like the yeah, early, that's a great call. But before he his body filled out and the whole thing. It's degree um, of difficulty. Yes. It, that's what it is, right? There's a lot of guys that score a lot of points, but the way in which he scores those points, it's just, it's not what everybody else is doing. It's not the way anybody else is getting their points. All right, so Verno, I know you did this on the mismatch, but not all my listeners listen to the mismatch. Even though I'm sure there's, I'm sure there's a ton of overlap. <laughs> but that that experience Monday night, yeah. I mean, that was the most special part of this whole journey. But at some point, it's like, all right, this is actually like I'm going to be telling my grandkids that I was at this game, kind of yes. shit going on at some point, and you could feel it. Though, like, what was the electricity like? Just what was it like? To I be mean, there? it. So there's a couple things that go into it. One is. Because of the way the schedule broke this season, the Grizzlies have been outstanding. They just ended up 8-2 and two in the month of February. They only played three home games the entire month of February. 
So all this is going on. Everybody's watching on TV. It's water cooler stuff. He's going and starting the all-star game, the whole nine. But there haven't been many home games. There was one that they actually dropped, which was the night before they went to the all-star break uh, Portland game. And then that one that was the other night against San Antonio. And so you had this buildup where they hadn't been around. It was the first one since the all-star break when they had been back at home. Um, and, I mean, look, I've been to all of them for virtually 21 years. A Monday night San Antonio right. is about as big a dud as you can get. And the crowd was wild, like, immediately. Like, you <laughs> could just tell it's like, you know, it's it's just a different vibe. It's like, you know, the, the closest thing is, like, the playoffs. Um, but years ago... There, there were guys that would come into town, and I remember telling people, there's only two where, like, very early, I guess three now, um, if you want to add in Curry, where I'm talking a monstrous amount of fans get there early, they're there to watch the warm-ups, and then when the guy comes out of the tunnel, I mean, even for warm-ups, it's like a rock star. Kobe was like that. Yep. Iverson was like that in Memphis. And then Curry, obviously. People show up to watch Curry in a way. But now that there's like this rock star kind of guy that's on the team, now you start to see a lot of people are there a lot earlier. The parking lots fill up earlier. And so that's all like kind of happened in the last couple of months. I will tell you this. and So it's a wave. My son's birthday was going to be on Martin Luther King Day. Uh, they play a game. They played against a, a game against the Bulls. I bought 10 tickets for him and his little buddies to go to the game. Uh, that's what he wanted to do for his birthday. So I did that. He got COVID. Mm. It ruined it. Now, I was able to get the tickets back and they resold it, whatever. I have tried to reschedule that thing since and cannot. I, oh, it's a wrap. Like, it's like the hottest. <laughs> Bro, yeah. I, and I'm here every day. I can't get them. <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I can't get the I asked him how about this I went down to our ticket guy and I said look Dennis I said you know that I, I said I need to do William's birthday at some point I was like it doesn't matter the game it doesn't have to be a big game let's just do Orlando Orlando is this Saturday they play against the Orlando Magic and he's like no chance and I was like what are you talking about and I said okay what is the most I could get together and he said two Two, they're playing the friggin' <laughs> magic. And so Bert. going back to your original question, the San Antonio thing, it was a madhouse already. And then mm. the performance, he's, by the way, he's coming off of 46. Right. At Chicago. So he's just broke the franchise scoring record. So that now they show up for that and there's a 52. It was pandemonium, absolute pandemonium. And, it appears as if it's just going to be like that the rest of the stretch run. It was there was something going on in the venue that Monday night. Also, there was an HBCU. Yeah, because I watched the feed. I watched yeah. the Memphis feed of that game. That's right. Well, it was all the local colleges came, and no, there was a HBCU night. Yeah, and they, Jackson yeah. State brought their marching band. I saw that. Yeah. And there was also some step competition. There was all yeah. kinds of stuff. It was it was nuts. That it all was. by itself. 
<laughs> when he had that dunk, I was watching the reactions of some of the people around the basket. Dude. And there was this one guy, shout out to the guy wearing the light blue sweater who jumped up and then did a full 180 with his hands <laughs> behind his back and just stared at all the other people like he had just seen a car crash. Um, <laughs> it was so cool. And the reason... Actually, let's let's take a break because I, I there's a reason that I want to do this and the reason why I think it's so important. But we'll take a quick break. Here. This episode is brought to you by Simply Safe. Summer is all about fun vacations, but I know that being away from home can be stressful. So many things can happen. That's why I like to recommend Simply Safe, a award winning security that can help give you peace of mind when you're away. The only thing you should worry about while you're on vacation is having too much fun. Having my home, it's great. Couldn't work better. I think Simply Safe is the best because it comes with a variety of indoor and outdoor cameras, sensors to detect break ins, fires, floods, and more. It's backed by 24 7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. It's given me, my family, many others real peace of mind. I'm waiting to have it too. Try it out. A 60 day money back guarantee. No contracts right now. Get 20% off any Simply Safe system with fast protect monitoring at simplysafe.com slash BS. That is simply safe with two S, simplysafe.com slash BS. There's no safe like simply safe. All right, coming back. There's, there's re like, obviously we're doing pods, right? We're looking for angles and it's like, oh, let's, when's, what's your best Ben Simmons trade? Um, are, should we, we be worried about the Warriors? Like everybody's doing kind of the same angles on things. And I, I think we get caught in the kind of the smaller picture things that we're going to do. You lead the pod, talk about segments. The ja, what's happening with Ja really reminds me of what happened with Curry that first Curry season when they was with David Lee and Clay, and you could feel the momentum happening. But then we went to the second one. And Mahoney and I talked about this a little bit where um, that second Warriors season, when they end up, they, they have the big battle with the Clippers and all that. But it, set, it basically set the stage for the title the year later. But it was the year that Curry started to resonate with kids. And Curry was becoming this star that he was a little different than the stars because he was so different and so unique as a player. And I feel that way with Ja because, you know, we have these different type of guys that come in and you have like the perimeter shooter guy. You have like the traditional point guard who has the ball all the time guy. You have the big men. And then you have like these, the most interesting guys in the league have been the Europeans, right? Giannis and Jokic and Embiid, these guys that are just like, what are these? The unicorns. Ja's not a unicorn, but he's so night to night different and unique to watch play to play that in his own way, it's like a Curry thing. Where with Curry, the whole thing was, when's Curry getting hot? When's he going to go on a, uh-oh, oh boy, oh, he's starting to feel it. Oh, he just made a third three and you're just kind of waiting for it. And with the Ja thing, I think it's the same thing. House, Bruno's obviously biased on this, but House, do you feel <laughs> like do you feel like we're moving that way where Jaws just not like a young star, but I actually think he has a chance to resonate like Curry did. I think he could become one of the faces of the league. It, 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 it's possible, but I, I want to ask you guys, I, I'm constantly, you know, trying to be careful about, you know, the, the, um, enthusiasm of the moment, right? The, high, and, the and hyperbole what, thing. I get it. Yeah. And, and, and recency bias and all of that. And I just think, you know, it was nine months ago, 10 months ago. Think about the collective um, exhilaration all of us, other than fans of, of the Knicks and the Sixers, experienced watching Trey Young 
kind of take the Eastern Con- the, the, the those playoffs over in a way that we didn't see coming, and with a style of play that um, you know we we it was kind of a one of a kind kind of style of play. Now <laughs> they got the the league outlawed one aspect of it in the, right. the off season, but. Uh, I understand Jaw's different. He's a different kind of player, a different kind of attacker, a different physical specimen. But we did have a lot of enthusiasm. We wondered about, you know, what does this mean for Trey Young? What does this mean for the Hawks? And here we are. But here's the thing. And I, all right, fine. This is why I'm asking it. You can call me biased or you could say that I'm just being truthful. Trey Young is not cool. That's the thing. He, Hey, he John was cool. Murray. No, he's he, not cool. It's a he's different cool. cool. It's it, <laughs> he, he's all not the cool. rappers were on the sidelines. All, he owns it, Atlanta. Trey Young he, is not cool. Quavo and Migos, Stop. all all of all Stop. of them right there. He just, he just brought out Vernos Homer. People, Homer no, <laughs> no. People have always been. Yeah, we were all annoyed by him. Yes, we liked that he turned into the wrestling heel, and he was, you know bowing in New York and he was doing great. But prior to that, he was a mini Harden who annoyed all of us. It was playing for fouls instead of playing for makes. And that was so irritating. That's not cool. And kids don't like that. Kids sit there. Kids feel the same way when they're watching it. They sit there and they go, oh, that's bullshit. You know, I, I mean, I've got a kid. I guess who outside of Morant, Curry is I, I, like, look. Even in a in a in a small market like this, if you were to say, okay, Morant, they all love Morant. Morant's the king of the world to them now, right? Let's set him aside. Easily amongst all of his all of his friends and who's on his teams, I would say, in terms of like jerseys they own, one would be Curry, or some paraphernalia. One would be Curry, and two would be Mahomes. And whoever is three is so far down the list, it's astonishing. Well, they that's don't give a crap about LeBron. And that's what's at stake for, for this job, whatever happens over these next few weeks and months. Because yeah. the last time we really saw this happen was with Curry. And we've had a lot. I think we have more great young players than we've had probably since the early 90s. But it's a lot like know, Iverson in that sense. Iverson was when I was getting out of college and he was cool. He right? was really cool. He was cool. But we Everybody have like, liked Allen Iverson. Jokic, who's been amazing, is just never going to resonate in this way. And right. neither is Giannis. I don't think Luca will either. And Bede, right. I think I think all those guys resonate with their fan bases and their cities. Right. But the difference with Jazz, what you just said, like the, it's the Mahomes thing. It's the Curry thing. It's just. There's something slightly different. He seems like it seems like it could be semi-attainable to be him, except it's not because right. then he does all the superhero stuff. But it's not like he's this big dude. Like you watched Zion last year and Zion was incredible, like for what, half of that season last year. Oh, yeah. But you can't like identify with Zion. Like the guys, yeah. like he seems like he was dropped from a different planet, you know, and he's doing stuff. And you're like, Jesus, this guy's overpowering the jaw thing. Like, if I'm a 10-year-old kid, I would be in the backyard. Who would you be pretending to be? You would pretend to be Curry or Ja. Yes. Those would be the two guys. And I, I think that's what's at stake for them. We've been here before. We were here with the 2013-14 Warriors stretch. And people forget, but that early Durant, Westbrook, Curry, and then adding hard on those teams, those early OKC teams, same thing, right? Small market. 
everyone's like, ah, you can never keep a guy in a small market because LeBron had just left. And then the OKC guys, it seemed realistic. Now, I know like with the small market thing, obviously Memphis is one of the smallest, but um, probably they feel in the, you, you guys all feel in the safest possible hands with Jai. Like he's from the South, yep. wants to be there. Yep. Um, Loves it. it. Very similar to the honest thing, right? Where yep. it's just like, oh, we're, we probably don't have to worry about this guy bolting in two years. Well, and the other thing is, and this is most important, you guys know every job, everything that you're involved with is about people. And you watch that team, and that's not fake. They are not, like, just teammates. They are legitimately friends. Like, they're friends' friends. Like, they hang out. They know each other's families. They really root for each other, love each other. And so that's just so important. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, but guys, guys when is the last time you saw a guy walk away from something he loved? or? a group of guys that he loved. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. It's usually there's some level of discontent that's gone on. And so you've got a bunch of these guys that all kind of their personalities fit together and they're friends. And so that goes a long, long way. Um, you never I, know, uh, you know, it's just like marriages. I mean, things it, at one point, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook didn't have any problem with each other. And then yeah. it probably got annoying at the end, right? <laughs> One of them starts looking elsewhere and wants to do something different. House had the same special thing with Chris Webber, Juwan Howard, Rod Strickland, and George Mearson. <laughs> I remember there was a year there where you were like, this is special. We're really this building something. Georgie <laughs> took them all out for, yeah, for, for hot dogs and movies. How are you doing, House? I mean, it was, a, it was the best start in 40 years. Wes Unsell Jr., you know, you know, taking over, you know, it was like they were they were doing the thing where they were saying, well, look at all these parallels. Wes Unseld, it was his team that was the last one that had this kind of a start. And now here we are 40 years later and it's Wes Unseld Jr. leading the way. And we're like 20, 30 games into this season and we were like, finally, House has got a team. No, he doesn't. But <laughs> but he has guys he likes. <laughs> I was at I was at dinner with House last night. He was bragging about Kyle Kuzma, Denny Avdi Avdija Avdi. How do you say it, House? Avdia. Avdia. I just can't say it. Avdia. Yeah. And he he's talking about how Rui was looking better lately. And then how about the white the white guy from Gonzaga? Kisper. Yeah, Corey Kisper's no, good. No, there was there was there was a, a finish line. He admitted he was kind of excited for Porzingis. There were witnesses. <gasps> yeah. House was, he was like, ah, oh, why not? Stretch man. five. Now, you know, you know what's going to happen is they're going to sign Beal to the Supermax, and then I'm just going to have to write the team off for the next five years. Because, I mean, I've been through that. I know exactly what that means. That is like a 36-win team if they do that. That's the ceiling. But Yeah, they should be signing and trading him. This turn for, on Beal has been stunning. Well, he's he's been there the whole time. House has huh? never wavered on... He he probably peaked with Beal in 2017, and then it's been a slow, steady de-evolution of of his feelings for for Beal. I would say mm. is that Fairhouse. Yeah, I mean Beal has always had more leadership qualities than John Wall, and for a moment there, it was whose team is this? And it was kind of a wrestling match, and then Wall got hurt and didn't play for two years, and then they decided to tank in that same time span. So then Beal became the best player on a tanking team. 
And as they kind of rebuild and got the miracle of West, Russell Westbrook for a year and made the, a miracle playoff run in last season, you know, lost in the first round, but still exceeded all expectations to get to the playoffs. All of that could have translated into Beal as a guy that you might think is a the the number one guy on, on a on a team that can compete, but he's just not. That's the thing. He's just not. He's not the number one guy. He can't be the number one guy. Maybe you trade him to Memphis for a bunch of stuff. Um, Oh, you know, we do have right behind me. In fact, this is recording. We do have Beale Street. My work. Oh, could work. work. Could work. Triple J. I'll take Triple J. (laughs) And Verno, (laughs) Verno, if you're the league right now, I mentioned this to Mahoney the other day. If you're the league right now, are you mobilizing behind Ja? Are you like, we, Curry is our most famous under 35 star. Yes. Yes. You mobilize behind Ja. He's got more views than he, they put out that memo yesterday. It's the most viewed Instagram video ever. He, he, they, they I think he was a 10 of 13 of their Instagram posts like two days ago. <laughs> it's crazy. Um, but I got to talk to you about that Mahoney thing. It's the first time that I have felt wildly uncomfortable through this entire deal because this has all been a dream for everybody in Memphis. Yeah. Him picking the Grizzlies to make the West Finals made me so squeamish. I like this has all been so unexpected. And I have long thought that every team, you know, all these teams, they need to, you know, you get playoff scars and they got some last year. You know, got some reps by playing against Utah. But now when it turns to, I don't know, it's like the first time somebody has talked like that. Like, hey, I think I'd have to take Memphis. And I love Rob Mahoney. Um, And I've been reading him forever. And so that was tough to hear because I don't want them to be the one that people are picking. I don't want them. I don't want them to be in a position where this can be a disappointment. Because this is so far from a disappointment. But that's mm. when it crosses the line, right? It's like that they underwhelmed or something. But they're they're all under 25 years old outside of Steven Adams, who is somehow 28. Steven is that true? Been, I feel like he's been in the league for 20 years. Yes. That's like how me and Catherine Zeta-Jones are somehow the exact same age and the same birthday. And it doesn't make sense to me. Who do you think's like, older? You do. You feel I, like I just feel like she's been around longer than I have. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, uh, no comment. So, no comment. <laughs> we're, ta- we're taping this on a Thursday at uh, it's like noon right now. And Memphis is a half game back, and you know, not breaking news that you'd rather be the two seed than the three seed here. But especially this year, because oh. and this is what Mahoney and I did on Tuesday. The two seed means you avoid Dallas and Denver. Maybe Utah. And, and, and yeah, and you move into that whole, yep. all right, Minnesota, Clipper, Lakers, bring it on. The Lakers, which, um, you know, we were talking, when I had Jacobian Wilds on last week, we were talking puncher's chance with the Lakers. I saw them in person la- uh, Tuesday night. I'm going to see them in person again tonight with House. They're bad. And it, it, I actually don't think they have a puncher's chance. And then people be like, well, you can't judge until Davis is back. But the body language, some of the stuff I saw, like just the chemistry that they don't have, um, yeah. the lack of defense. And Chris Ryan made this point because we were watching LeBron. And he was like, 
LeBron for like seven minutes can be LeBron. And he knows like when to kind of use those seven minutes. It's like his cheat code. He slaps it in. He has these awesome seven minutes, but he can't do it for four quarters anymore. And he can't do it in the defense anymore. I don't know if you guys saw that game. Luca kind of tortured him in the fourth quarter in that mm. game for like three, four possessions. He was trying to get LeBron in these switches. I don't know if they were talking about it in the in the announcer or not, but he was trying to get him. And then LeBron's like, oh, you want to go mano a mano? And Luca's like, yeah, I actually do. I would love to go mano a mano with you and torched him. And then LeBron ended up moving away from him. I don't think the miles that LeBron's playing combined with who knows when Davis comes back, combined with that supporting cast, I actually don't think they have a puncher's chance. I would be more nervous about whatever the ceiling of the Clippers with whoever comes back. But with all that said, let's say the let's say Memphis is two-seated. Now you have the Lakers in the series. Are you scared? Do you want to bulletin board them right now? Oh, no. Yes, I would be. I would be concerned. Not because I don't think that they would could win the series or would win the series. It's simply because you're having to go up against if you're saying that Anthony Davis is healthy. Yeah, because it's different when he's healthy. And I just cannot get out of my mind when they first came to town. Somebody with the Lakers, because I they, I mean, they sucked then too. Um, I was like, what the hell's going on? And I remember they said this to me. They said, it's very frustrating because, you know, they got tons of veterans on that team. And they're like, and even with LeBron, they are going to every night give out the absolute minimum amount of energy it takes to to win. Now, what's ha- what's ended up happening is they give the minimum amount of energy and they can't even win, right? right. They, they can't They can't just turn it on. And that's what they've realized. They can't just turn on. But I also think in those, when it gets to the playoffs and he'll turn it into a total half-court game, are you, you're not going to get calls. They're getting the calls. I just, no. I'd rather play. I'd, I'd rather play somebody else that that's not the issue. Well, you're probably not playing them because it looks like they're stuck in the nine ten range. Probably, but right. House, would you want to see the Lakers in the playoffs, or do you want to watch them tonight before you answer this, or where where do you stand? No, I, I'm fine because I don't think tonight is probative of you know what the playoff version of the Lakers could consist of, and so you know you need we, to see we, him with Davis. That's it. That's the answer. Verno knows. So, and and for all the reasons Verno just said, they're formidable. I mean, they will F you up, uh, LeBron and, and AD. And, you know, who, who knows? Maybe over this next little bit, um, they will have figured out a second unit role for Westbrook so that at least the second Dude, unit isn't getting death. Well, well, I'm just saying, like, you know, it's just not out there getting... You know, the on-off numbers with, with LeBron are insane right now because the whole rest of the team is, is you know, junk. But well, what's interesting is New Orleans, different. New Orleans is coming for them. I mentioned in the a pod, I can't remember if it was Sunday or Tuesday, how I'd heard that the Lakers kind of stood up to LeBron mm. um, last week because they did all the stuff. They, you know, they, whatever. they You could see what their agenda was. Well, you, what weekend. night did you say you were there? You said you were there Tuesday night? Yeah. Okay, so was that the night? Was it Monk or who was the young player that jumped up this spectacular like block where he like grabbed the ball right above the uh, way above the rim? There was a play like that. I mean, it was right in front of their bench. Yeah, and I saw a guy like on 
uh, nah, some one of the social media sites posted this video. And it was one of those like bitching about the Lakers videos. I love clicking on those. <laughs> and and the guy was like, look at this bullshit. Like, look at this play and then look at the bench. He's like, this shit is spectacular. And the and bench didn't no, even get up. Nobody even like. Well, we were blinked. laughing because we were sitting across from the benches on Tuesday. We were laughing because the whole fourth quarter, Dallas's whole bench is standing. Right. They're really into it. They're coming on the court. Crazy. Whole Lakers bench is sitting and occasionally Davis would stand up and sit down. But the everything about it said to me like this team is heading the wrong direction. What's interesting, because I, I was talking to a couple people this week. Um, LeBron's never been in this situation before. Where mm, no the, what about the no, Ingram no, year? No, no. This situation uh, where He's trying to do like, hey, if, oh, if we don't do this, you know, we, we got we got to change the team, and you got to, and they're kind of like, we're the Lakers. We're you, you're going to come and go. You're going to retire at some point. We're still the Lakers. We're still one of the league's signature franchises. If you don't like it here, we'll trade you this summer. Mm. He doesn't have the same kind of. I don't know if he's ever been at this point in his career where he doesn't have the juice because ultimately they could just trade him. He's under contract next year, right? He wants to be here next year. His son's going to be a senior at, at Sierra Canyon. He doesn't want to leave LA. You know, this is the first time he's he kind of had to back off, which is why I think we got those stories last week where the was like woes with like Rich Paul. Rich Paul's like, no, no, no. Actually, we didn't try, dude. You're bringing up Sam Presti in press conferences. Why the fuck are you doing that? That's why are you interesting. Doing that? I I haven't even thought about this because obviously infinitely bigger than Cleveland infinitely bigger than Miami. But your argument would be that he ain't bigger than the Laker brand. He's not bigger than the Laker brand, and he's yeah. also not in the prime of his career anymore. Right. And they're yeah. just not going to mortgage the future, which they've already done with the Davis trade and the Westbrook trade. They don't have any more assets. House, the, guy, the guy's going to be in year 20 next year. At some point, you got to look at it and go, hey, man, it, you, like we already did all the stuff you asked. We got a title out of you. And if you don't want to be here, we'll trade your ass this summer. Well, and they stood up to Kobe years ago, too, you remember? I mean, they, they stood did, up in to him. In the mid-2000s, they did. Yeah. But they never traded him. And then they took care of him down the stretch because he was as big as the Lakers. He had right. two generations of fans. LeBron doesn't have the same hold over Laker fans, I'm telling you. What mm -hmm. were you going to say, House? Just that, uh, you know, we talked about this at dinner last night. Um, the you know, LeBron and his uh, camp engineered Westbrook's, uh, you know, arrival in Los Angeles, and they affirmatively chose Westbrook over DeRozan because DeRozan, by all accounts going back, was very close and and wanted to play with the Lakers. And you know, there there is now because of the stage of his career and because of you know the investment that the Lakers have already made, he doesn't have that sway any longer. I mean, he. He made the mistake, and he's got to live with the mistake now. That accountability is there. What's well, so with all this? All this talk of dinner and dinner, and we were together. We're going to get. Are you guys like in the same house in different rooms right now? Yeah, yes. we're in different rooms <laughs> yes. right now. Yes. Are you really? Yeah. This is podcast we didn't want the shit. On the Zoom. Yeah. Listen, yeah. Berno, we want a good listener hey. experience for our fans. <laughs> hey, Berno. We, we had to get back together because the last time the three of us were all on a pod, we had to go through the whole breakdown, you know, uh, uh, 
Ben Simmons is a diminishing asset. Verno was on Verno <laughs> Island with yeah, Ben Daryl Simmons. Moore is what a bad job Daryl Moore was doing. The, uh, the whole Ben Simmons thing. Remember that house? <laughs> I remember we it. Get, we, we ganged up on Verno, and he made an impassioned argument for why it was sure. a mistake for the for the Sixers and, and you know, that, that Simmons yeah. was never going to get any kind of return. Daryl was – and all we said was you, you can't predict the future. You can't control – how guys might change their minds, what circumstances might change. Lo and behold, mm. yeah. because because Kyrie Irving refused to get a vaccination, James mm. Harden is on the Philadelphia 76ers. Who could have seen that coming? And uh, Berno, on hey. top of that, he je Daryl Jedi mind trick 90% of the media who thought it was like, oh, Brooklyn, Ben Simmons. He's, mm. he's this is he's gonna be, this is it. This, this is Perfect guy, perfect fit for Kyrie and KD. It's like, is Ben Simmons gonna fucking play? Can we talk about that part? Because <laughs> last time we saw him, last time we saw him, he was completely checked out of every fourth quarter of an entire playoff series. It was completely terrified. Were we? Were, that never happened now. I think he needs. Uh, doesn't he? He has to at least sit out until after they play the Philly game, right? Oh, and the Knicks game. Oh, yeah, we we Russell and I figured this out. It's gonna be Orlando House on your DeRozan point. So. Ultimately, the Bulls get DeRozan. They trade Thaddeus Young, expiring contract, who was in that buyout trade the Spurs made in February. Al Farouk Aminu, who I think was just a contract, a protected first and two second round picks. So the Lakers, I'm pretty sure could that could have just been, what, Kuzma, Harrell, and the first they gave to Washington in the Westbrook trade for DeRozan at a cheaper number. That's the other piece. DeRozan's making, I think, 27, 28 million for Chicago and Westbrook's making 47. And we were saying this last summer, like the reason I hated the trade was I was like, they have no outs. If this doesn't work, you can't get out of this. There are no outs. And now they're saying that, well, it's like he's an expiring contract this summer. So what? He makes $47 million. Wait, go look at, go, go on spot track and look at all the salaries lined up. What giant contract? So they'll get Tobias Harris for... Russell Westbrook's expiring. By the way, why would Philly do that? Like, go through all the contracts. Porzingis? Who are they? Who are they getting for Russell Westbrook? They're, it's not like somebody's gonna be like, "Cool, here's our max salary guy. You take." It's gonna him. be John Wall. We'll get Westbrook. It was. Yeah. I mean, that was the it's answer. gonna be it's been Wall. the answer all along. They'll revisit that. It'll be Wall. But think about DeRozan for Kuzma, Harrell. And a protected first. And then they still could have kept KCP or maybe KCP's in that trade instead of Harold. But man, DeRozan wanted to go there. Mm. And now, I mean, on top of it, how amazing DeRozan's been. Yeah, Verno, you were wrong about Ben. You were wrong about Daryl. You should well, apologize. Hold on. Oh, well, how, apologize hold on. to Daryl. Hold on a second now. <laughs> apologize to Daryl. All right. Congratulations to Daryl for trading for a guy that has absolutely embarrassed himself by quitting on two teams in 13 months. <laughs> Congrats. Congrats. I, you got a, hey, you got a hell of a guy. And when he vomits all over himself in the playoffs, I'll be right there. I'll be, I, I might have to get front row tickets. No, that's not fair because he's never had a coach with the proven playoff success in Doc Rivers. <laughs> it's fine. The Philly Woo. fans are like they're they're like Rocky too. They're all chasing Stallone down the street, ready to run on the steps and jump around with them. But this no, no, I, I, and I'm going to be. Let me uh, hold on. Let me give a true moment of seriousness. Yeah, true. All right, serious. All right, yeah. In all seriousness, 
I do want to apologize to Daryl. I never thought that after a guy had gotten wildly out of shape and sabotaged two different teams that you would end up having to trade more for him than you would have originally when you were just getting him out of Houston the first time around. But you did it. So congrats. You pulled that off. The waiting really paid off. I would like to apologize to Daryl because when the stories first trickled out, I refused to believe them because it seemed impossible to me that James Harden was going to quit on two teams in a year. I just, my brain could not wrap around it, but I underestimated the NBA, which brings us full circle back to our guy, Ja. This is another Curry thing, right? It feels like, you know, drafted drafted by the team. They built the team the old fashioned way. The guys have been playing together for a while. This is the kind of basketball team I want in the NBA. Well, think about think about the top. Let's let's put him in there. Let's put him in the MVP race and say he's four or five, along with DeRozan, right? You got those top yep. three, those big guys, right? The, what the three big top, guys, then the next two. And what do those three big guys all have in common? All drafted by the team, all stayed with the team. The biggest stars in the NBA, this is becoming more commonplace. Your guy Tatum. He's been with the team now. Like, it's, you know, it's years and years of these guys now with these teams and are staying with these teams. And it's true of Giannis, no matter the market. Giannis is in Milwaukee. Jokic is in Denver. Yeah. You know? Embiid's obviously in Denver, a where market they, their fans can't even watch the local games in Denver. Yeah. That's tough. Oh. By the way, have you noticed, hey, you know the Grizzlies are, I don't know when this comes out, but the Grizzlies are playing the Celtics tonight. I really thought I was going to be walking into the Lions' den. The defensive juggernaut that is the Celtics, the Grizzlies, it's all been a real nice story, but they got ahead to Boston tonight. I see the line has flipped completely, so people are betting on the Celtics, even despite Jalen Brown being out, and I feel like you don't, you don't, you don't believe that to be so or no. I don't like the Jalen Brown being out part. <laughs> no, no, but I do like this team. And I was telling House, I, this team does at least have an identity now, the Celtics team. And two things have happened. The white trade, they used to lose like the last, you know, three, three minutes of the first and third quarters and the first couple of minutes next because their bench was never good enough, right? White comes in and he's just, He's so much better than I. I just didn't watch a ton of the Spurs. I got to be honest. Like, In all I didn't fairness, know, the Celtics have beaten the shit out of the Grizzlies over and over again over the last yeah. even well, couple of years. Brad Stevens did right, uh, like those teams. Right, um, but but you're gonna find out about your defense. That's what I'll tell you. They're number well, two right now because I went back and looked. Only twice have the Grizzlies scored less than one fourteen. And I'm talking like since like the beginning of the year. Like they yeah. scored 114 or more only twice. And it was Dallas both times. One time they scored like 91, the other one like 84. Dallas was just a different deal and they just totally wrecked them. Every other time they have scored 114 or more points, nobody scores 114 against Boston. Nobody. Well, no Jalen is, I think it's going to matter at least a little bit. But mm. I'll say the other thing. The white trade and the the fact that they have these eight guys locked in, but Tatum's been really good. I mean, yeah. Tatum, Tatum, uh, I think has I think he took some of the criticism from the first month to heart, and 
he's really trying to be more of a facilitator and less of a just get out of my way, ISO, 25-foot stuff. There's extra passes. I think he's more of a leader. Like, there's a play in the game the other night. Horford made a big three. And you could just see Tatum in the corner, like, really cheering him on. It feels like they've become more of a team. So we'll And the other thing is, they did this. They did the thing that if you watch Toronto, Toronto does it too. They just stop playing, guys. Right? The eight-man rotation (laughs) thing. Yeah, who are the best eight? Just don't play anybody that could possibly screw this up. And if we got to play seven or eight, we'll play seven or eight. But that's it. That's what we're doing. House, we've we've been on this since the 80s. Pick your best seven or eight. That's it. It's hard to do for a whole regular season. No, though. I get it, but at some point you got if by the by the fifty five game mark, you better know who your best fucking eight guys are. Hey, I tell you, you you would love this guy that coaches in New York because that Joker will find his best five. <laughs> 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 and he'll just play forty eight forty eight minutes. The problem in New York is it's not a very good five. I, I'm fine with um, you know how long it took Boston to come up with this identity brand new coach this guy yep. you know kind of an unknown co- uh, commodity to to these guys right he didn't show up with a relationship pre-existing relationship with these guys there was a feeling out process and they found that identity you know after christmas uh you know right around the beginning of the year they've been on it on the tear since the beginning of the year so I, that seems pretty reasonable to me this is the first like uh almost normal regular season in three seasons so you just have to remember the tempo of this. That that all makes sense to me. Two, three guys have changed how they played at least a little bit, and that's how Tatum I mentioned. Smart has really tried to phase out some of the dumb Marcus Smart shot stuff, and really been more of like unselfish facilitate. He's he'll never be a true point guard, but between him and Wade, it kind of adds up. And then Rob Williams has just been able to stay on the floor. I think Mannix was saying that. You know, MA has just been challenging Williams the whole season. Like, you're one of the you're one of the most dangerous guys in the league. We need you out there. Come on, man. And, you know, they moved him around a little on D. So I think those were three things. We will see tonight. Verno, um, congrats to you and your son and your 120 uh John Morant rookie cards that are probably in a safety deposit box at uh one of the banks of Memphis. We're proud of you. House, someday. Someday it's gonna happen for you with a with a uh, with a bullet slash wizard. I'm happen. not worried about that. I just want to, we're 37 days out, Verno. You know what we're 37 days out from? Oh, oh yeah. Do I ever? Did, oh, oh, yeah. 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 Hey, no. I hope yeah. you got your notes. No. Are you ready for the worst story ever? I, and I'll make Let's, it quick. Go ahead. The night after John Morant scores 52 points, I wake up the next morning. And of course, I got a million texts from people about that, like all my friends in the media, everything else. But I wake up. And there's a text and it's from one of my buddies, Jay. And he says, do you want to go to the Masters on Sunday? And I said, you have got to be kidding me. Now, my whole (laughs) life, I've never been. I've done a song about it, but I've never uh, been. I've never been there. I said, oh my, I, I responded, are you serious? So he has a company. He does business with another company. The other company, right, hooked up the other company with tickets. He said, me and my business partner, we've got an extra. We know you've never gone. Do you want to go? And I said, absolutely, I want to go. Grizzlies game? There I am. Huh? Grizzlies game, Sunday? Against the Celtics, the last game of the season. Oh, Oh, and you're fighting for the two spot. You can't miss that. And I have to work, so... (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, of all things, <laughs> really? Well, look, really? All, all, all I really care about are the Thursday, Friday updates. All, all due respect. I mean, I, I want understand. you to go to the Masters. We'll get you there. We can get, get you to, to the Masters, buddy. Yeah, I'll don't go. worry. We'll we'll get you to the Masters. But the Thursday and Friday updates, especially. Now, I hope you've been writing the, uh, a special section for Phil Mickelson. Oh I hope gosh. you have a special Phil <laughs> section. Do you, think, do you think I should risk uh, talking about Saudi Arabia or just leave that out? <laughs> well, you don't need you don't need Saudi Arabia a, in it. I mean, you know, it, 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 Phil took a dump all by himself. His pants does, are full right now. You don't even have to mention Saudi Arabia for it. Does he have a, like a like a derisive nickname from that whole thing? Like, can we call him the Sultan? Can we? What can we do? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Sultan Phil Mickelson. Whoa, it's inspired. There you right. go, Verno. You got one. Work the Sultan into it. All the right. Well, you can Sultan. hear you can hear Verno on uh, the Fairway Rolling Pod. You can hear him on the Mismatch as well. He's been with us really since basically the start of the early rigor days. You're one of our first people we brought in, doing a great job with KOC. And uh, congrats on all the job stuff. Thanks, guys. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer partner of the NBA. It's just what you need to sit back and enjoy the game. And they're also getting fans closer to the game than ever. You can win exclusive NBA prizes like courtside seats, signed memorabilia, and more. I love Michelob because of how light it is. It's only 95 calories with 2.6 carbs. You know what the perfect time for Michelob Ultra is? A little doubleheader, a little NBA doubleheader. Right? First half of the first game. I don't know. West Coast time, that's usually about Five o'clock, five thirty, perfect time for a beer. You can do it. Grab a pack to enjoy today. Learn more and enter for your chance to win at Michelobeultra.com slash courtside LDA twenty one and up. House and I are by ourselves now. We're gonna talk about the baseball lockout, which seems like it's gonna last at least through April. The indications are from what I've heard. It's better for the baseball owners just not to have baseball in April, which is why they've approached this whole thing the way they have. But that 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 seems like something that's true in in, just like, in general. We've learned this, right? Why can't they just start the season in 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 May? I mean, I understand when you cram in 162 games into a regular season, and you have your postseason that starts getting into October. Everybody's wearing winter coats to uh, the games in October, which but. is ridiculous. So I guess like let's try to figure. I can go through some of the issues because I tried to learn as much as I possibly could about what are they actually arguing about. The big thing is the industry revenue for the last 17 years has risen every year. The amount of money they have brought into baseball, which peaked in 2019, $10.7 billion. There's a 43% increase in revenue just over the last two CBAs. The luxury tax has only increased by 16%. And the median salary of the players has dropped by 30%. So in 2015, it was 1.65. 2019, it was 1.15. So the players are basically just fundamentally, this is about there's more money coming in. The franchises are worth more. Fox is paying $5.1 billion for their new extension that starts this year. And yet all of these things are broken and you owners don't seem like you want to fix it. You don't want to fix the luxury tax threshold. You don't want to fix the salary floor. Um, you guys are making all this money and you don't seem to care about some level of fairness that has now reached the point that we are just rather, you know, we're not going to move into fuck you mode unless you fix this. And the owners are like, cool, well, fuck you too. 
How about this? No games in April. Nobody gets paid. We don't care. Like our TV contract doesn't really kick in until the summer anyway. Nobody's even really focused on baseball in April. Masters, end of the NBA season, NHL playoff starts, basketball playoff starts, football draft. Baseball has become an afterthought in March and April, which was never the case before. So if we unwrap all of this, fundamentally, what is the perfect baseball season for you? Oh, that's interesting. So you, like what like what would the cycle be? Would it start in May and go, would you start it in March? No, because it's it it can still snow in many cities on the East Coast in March. And it could definitely snow in in, you know, like uh, Denver. So uh, in the Midwest. Like, would you go May to like mid-September playoffs right away and it goes to like October 20th? I mean, isn't that kind of how it is now? September, uh, October 20th is kind of the it's end like, of the season. Isn't that basically right? Well, the season now, like, like we go to October, then we have playoffs. And sometimes that's now stretching into like November 1st, 2nd, 3rd. And you have these, your biggest games of the year and it's fucking freezing. Yeah. It's 30 degrees. Well, I mean, let, let's, I want to do like a super big picture kind of thing. Cause part of the thing that's informing the leverage that the owners seem to possess here, they clearly think that they have leverage over the players. They've had a great run of, you know, having their way with the players. What, yes. for what feels like, you know, a full decade, probably longer. The, here. the players are realizing the 2016 one, they got worked. And, and I think, you know, part of what in, informs that is baseball's lost some of its prominence in our sports consciousness. It doesn't play as, as big a role. When we were young, when we were coming up, yep. I remember the, you know, we, how outraged we were about the 94 lockout. About you know it was it was uh, it blew our minds that they canceled the World Series that Ken Griffey's MVP season and home run chase got you know sort of taken away from the him. one good Expos year the one good Expos year got wiped you know basically we were, wiped we were away like, basically we're done we're out that's right yeah exactly and and then when you got your then steroids brought us back <laughs> well it brought everybody back we had a home run chase. We had uh, Cal Ripken and steroids. We had and Cal we were Ripken. Like, we're back. And then the Mark McGuire. Sammy Sosa. Have 50 homers. I'm back. My <laughs> <laughs> God, Albert Bell. Look at this guy. We're back. Well, and you, you caught a great, you know, uh, Yankees, uh, Red Sox rivalry in the early well, we 2000s. Had, yeah, the Yankees win in 96. That brings back the biggest franchise. Yeah. McGuire Sosa, 98. Yankees, Red Sox all the way through. Cubs, Bartman, 2003. Of these 2003 playoffs, yes. the Cubs on one end, choking. The Red Sox on the other end, choking. And then everything leads to 2004. And, and that decade was really good, looking yeah. back. Yeah. And that was going through like at least the first Giants World Series. But I remember when we started Grantland, we didn't have a baseball writer right away. And, we, and it was like a real hole. You know, it's like, holy, like we got to get a baseball writer. This is baseball so huge. What are we doing? And now it's, you know, you think like in 2022, we're at this stage where there's going to be a lockout. There's no spring there training. There is a lockout. No, but, but I mean, oh, no, yeah. a lockout of the actual season. There's no spring training. Yeah. And how many conversations have you had about it? This is the first. This is like the first you, time you and I have talked about it. We you, talk all the time. You sharing me these details. I, I haven't, you know, bothered getting that invested in it. Part of why, why that is, though, is because, you know, the, the industry was forecasting that this labor, this lockout was, was going to be coming down the pike, that they, you know, worked the, their way through the, their own version of the bubble season that they had. That they were going to just get through this this most recent season. Yeah, it was like hearing about your friend's 
gonna get separated in April. The, 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 he's, he's moving out. Yeah. And so it's like not even news that it's happening. The, the only noteworthy thing to me that's happened in baseball, I mean, the Nats won the World Series in 2019 and I went to to many ga- those World Series games, playoff games and World Series games. It was incredible in Washington and then COVID hit and really just decimated. Like we missed out on all of the juicy uh, Astros stuff. Right. Like that whole season of the whole, every, every fan base having the opportunity to punish Houston. We were deprived of that. And it really hasn't, you know, picked back up in terms of just, you know, what what's the, Shohei Otani was the story for baseball last season. He was, but I also wasn't, watching Angels games. Like I watched John Moran on Monday night as we discussed. Yeah. But I didn't care if I saw Otani. And it, and and if he did anything, I would just see it on Twitter. It's like, oh he hit a homer. I'll watch it on on a Twitter clip. That's the leverage that the the owners clearly think they possess, right? Well they what they really possess is the chance to completely reinvent the sport, which I think we're at the point. They've you know, been doing it. But you talked about ninety four. What did we really have going on in ninety four? We had four sports. We had boxing. The internet barely was we didn't barely getting started. We had video games, um, and we had music and movies and TV and all that stuff to keep us interested. And now there's, I mean, the know. NBA and the NFL were huge parts of our lives, right? But baseball was right there with them. Yeah. Oh, easily. I think really right there, all the way to probably the mid two thousands. Yeah. And then it started to shift. But man, now you think like, and it's not just like I, I'm not going to do the thing where it's like young people in baseball because I've done it a million times. There's so many different ways you have to capture people under 25, and baseball's not doing any of them. But even like if you just look at sports, like we have the UFC now, we have two, we have the WWE and AEW. Um, golf, I feel like, has kind of made a comeback. You have fucking F1. Which yeah. the Netflix show, I'm by the way plowing through that Netflix oh, show. Oh, you and jumped it's into it. Yeah, I'm a season and a half in. It's great. I'm going to get into the season. Like, <laughs> there's just sports that have either reinvented themselves or come onto the scene or figured out whatever, whereas baseball hasn't done anything. And some of the stuff that's on the table, like they're talking about Universal DH, 14 team playoffs, which you're for, I think is ridiculous. <laughs> I don't have um, any problem with it. More games. The banning the shift, how to fix extra innings. The pitch clock, like to me, it's like if they come out of this with a pitch clock, then the lockout's a huge win. <laughs> just, like, just like it's seventeen seconds to throw a pitch. Then now I'm like, this was all worth it. I we don't save baseball. Well, I don't understand though, because you, 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 I think at the guts of of that, and I don't disagree with the notion of reinventing the product, but you have competing interests. Part of the attraction of baseball to to me. I love going to games. You love and how sitting there. I get yes, it. Yes. Yes. You still need a pitch clock. I don't go well, watch the old games where it's like the guy gets the ball back, yeah. sets it, he throws again. Like I to me, fundamentally, if they can just do that and have more action and less guy grabbing his crotch, okay. right? Okay. Around okay. The mound, I was gonna try and make an argument to the contrary, but you you're can't. right. You can't. You can't. And you think about like just the NBA, some of the stuff the NBA did that they really needed to do that seems so obvious now, but in retrospect, weren't obvious at all. Like, um, you have to get the ball over the half court in eight seconds instead of 10. Yeah. Well, wh- why is that a big deal? Well, watch basketball. Watch how these guys have to move up the court to get the ball over for eight seconds. You get an offensive rebound, it's 14 seconds, not 24. doesn't seem like a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. 
it speeds up the game. It gives it a different pace. Well, and, and, you know, some of the subtle things like the game clock running, even though the shot clock might not start, right? Like the game yep. clock just keeps rolling. You know, you have that thing where guys will roll the ball in and because they want to maximize yeah, the, the 24 like, seconds. You. Game clock's still game, going. <laughs> game clock's yeah. rolling. That's exactly right. Yeah. So they've done these subtle things that I think really help the sport and they change some of the hand check rules and you know, on the flip side, then now the challenges are in and that's going to be something they have to fix, but whatever. If you have pitch clock, I would have the other thing I would do. I would eliminate throws to, to the bases to keep the runners on the base. Oh, I would just have a line. The guy could take the lead to the line and that's it. Wow. I feel like you're getting rid of four minutes. Like what, Nate, what are your favorite pickoff throws in your life? <laughs> I honestly just why do we need oh, these? The like, only one, these are ideas from 1880. Like, a just get rid of this. Alan Wiggins was a, was a, <laughs> a Baltimore Wiggins. Warrior uh, Oriole who was the only one who ever got fooled by the ball in the glove trick yeah, that just I'm get aware rid of. of it. Just maybe bring it back for the playoffs or, or say you can only do two pickoff throws, but just move, keep the game moving, move keep it, the move game it, moving. Keep I agree going. with that. I don't want to see right. somebody throw it first, I don't want to see them grab their crotch. Okay. Um, the other thing, extra innings. So they have the zombie runner now at second base, which is, I, I just thought was the dumbest thing. Well, let me start from the beginning. Did you think that it was necessary to modify the rules as far as extra innings go? I would have, I would have just said 12 innings and it's a tie if nobody wins. That sounds reasonable to me. What's wrong with ties? I don't know. Hockey has what, ties. Yeah. We're okay. We, yeah. we don't like, it hasn't ruined our life. I agree. It's way better than zombie runner. Zombie runner is way like better. My team just won, and I don't even know what just happened because the zombie from the last inning. Is the problem I now. have, the biggest problem I have with zombie runner, and this will be, you know, hey, this is all, everything having to do with baseball is old guy corner, but this is really going to be old guy corner. The one thing that baseball in my life um, had an advantage over the other sports that, that, that I care about is the ability to relate different eras and then go back and compare statistics yep. and really feel like it could be an apples to apples kind of comparison. I know the athletes are different. I know the medicine's different. I know travel's different. I know the steroids different are different. The PDs are different. <laughs> yes. uh, all of those things. And and yet we still have a, a, a number of fundamental categories where you can year over year compare how things have gone. Yeah. You put a guy on second base to start the 10th inning. It's, it's all done. That's it. You're yeah, done. You're not, your sport's not drunk. I have a suggestion. Kyle, turn the camera. <laughs> For, to fix X earnings. Turn the camera. This is stolen from a football idea about how overtime should be. How many plays did it take to score a touchdown? Okay where if you have the ball in your first drive, if you score a touchdown in like seven plays, the other team gets the ball, but they have to score a touchdown in six plays or less. I do like it. Which would be like, no, no, the, the same seven. Not Why no, would they have, no. why would it have to be, be less? less than seven? Why? Less than seven. All right, whatever. We could argue about it. Okay. Extra innings. You have your whole order of your nine guys. All nine guys bat in the 10th inning. How many runs can you score with those nine guys? You, outs are irrelevant. What if the answer if all is... All nine guys are up. Oh, wait, wait. Outs are irrelevant. Well, no, outs aren't irrelevant because every one of those guys but, could but get I'm out. But I'm saying like you could have seven outs. Yeah, right. You would singles. expect that. Yeah, that's what I would expect. So the Red Sox are up top of the ninth. They have their nine guys and they get they get two runs out of it. 
And now we go to the bottom of the ninth. So they have to get either two runs in like eight, eight at bats or whatever. It's, it becomes like name that tune. I like the concept of it very much. It's better than zombie runner. The problem I have is it requires, it puts a lot of, of, um, tax on the pitchers and it would mean that you oh, have to it, expand right. the pitcher, you know, expand the rosters and and based on what you've just told me about what the owners are willing to do in terms of paying guys, they ain't they ain't expanding the roster to put more pitchers on to accommodate the Okay, so what thing. if we did just it's a normal tenth inning? What was your best outcome in the inning? And the other team has to somehow surpass it and they win the game. So you're in the top of the tenth. You get a single guy stranded on first base. That's as far as you went. So you got a base. The other team bottom of the inning. All they have to do is get a guy to second base, they win the game. Yeah, that's great. I, I support and then we're that. Out. I think that's fine. I think that's better than Zombie Runner. Now it's got to be something where the bot, the team in the bottom half of the inning has to top whatever happened in the top half. Of the that's inning. pretty good. I like that a lot. I mean, it 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 does still permit the possibility of like a fourteen inning game because you could have three up, three down, three up, three down, three up, three down. Now, I, I guess so a walk I still, walk would be the same way because it counts as a base, right? So okay, base. you're basically counting bases. I like that. And if you score a run plus another guy's on second base, now the other team has to top that. I'm still 12 innings, and if nobody wins, it's a tie. I'm and fine everybody with that. walks home. I am fine See, with that. Why are we so afraid of ties? We I don't have know. Them in soccer, everybody loves soccer. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't. You know, the hockey hockey's produced ties my whole life, so I'm fine with it. Because in playoffs, it's just the games are as long as they're going to be, and that's yeah. it. Yeah, which is fair. Right? Yes. So we're pro ties. That's we're pro kissing our Except sister. Except for hockey got rid of ties. They have the shootout now. So there are no ties. In yeah, but not anymore. in the playoffs, though. I know. You just play it out. And then we used to have ties in hockey, and I was fine with it back then. The shootout is fun, but. Shift banning. I'm fine with that. I am pro get rid of the shift. Yes. I think the shift has caused some of the issues that we hate about baseball, specifically, like you're basically better off having this 220 guy, 220 hitter who comes up who takes a lot of walks and just swings for the fences every time because if he just swings normally, there's three guys on the side where he's where he's swinging. Just get rid of it. I, I, it sucks. It does suck. Don't do stuff that sucks. We agree. It's we like agree. the same thing with the NBA where they have this problem now, this rule where the, there's about to be a fast break and they hold the rule. Yes, the take and, foul. And we watch international basketball and international basketball has this, this ref has this autonomy and he's like, I didn't like what you did. That's a technical, technical. foul. Make it a tech. Okay, you violated the spirit of the game. It's a technical. Love and everybody's it. like, okay, so that's how we're playing these rules. And you know what? To be, to baseball's credit, as it relates to the shift, they have they let it go for long enough. We we you know we have a good sample size, a decent sample size. We we we've all watched it, and we all agree that we don't like it. So go ahead and eliminate it. If it's like family softball game. And your aunt and your uncle and your cousin, everybody's on third base. So cousin Bobby can't get a hit and right field's wide uh, that's open. Not, why are you calling Kyle cousin Bobby? That's not nice to Kyle. Well, Kyle wouldn't be in this softball game. Why wouldn't Kyle be in the softball he'd, game? He'd be at whatever the downtown bar was. No, but, Kyle, but, you could smoke butts and have a nice tall, you know, tall boy. Kyle, would you be in the softball game? He would 100%. Uh, I need to be invited first. So just think about that. <laughs> well, we don't have a softball game. So it's a, it's a moot point. <laughs> uh, so you're pro shift or anti shift? I I want them to eliminate it. I think that's a good good idea. Are you pro DH or anti DH? I like the DH. I like so universal DH. You'd be in. Yes, I've, so that's I've more wondered all people. these years, all these years, why they haven't gone to it. I you don't, don't like what, seeing pitchers hit one eighty. So dumb. 
So if they did DH, universal DH, they banned the shift, pitch clock. Those are all improvements. 18 seconds for the pitch clock? Fine. Whatever they want, it's fine. Extra innings after 12 innings, it's a tie. Everyone that, would, that would work for me. And then um, I would still do 12 playoff teams. Now, you could say 14. The three division people cannot be in the playoffs at that point. So you win your three divisions. You're not in any sort of danger at that point. And if we're going to have 14 teams, then the other four in each league have like a have okay. like a fucking fast. That's and fine. Then somebody emerges and now they have to it, it, play the three division winners. I support expanding the playoffs because it, it brings more cities in. It's more relevant. It will catch my attention. If you if you call it playoff baseball and you know, and, and it's on TV at prime time, I there's it increases the chances that I'm gonna sit down and, and With watch division of the, and see the some NL version. East? Yes. So you have to win the NL East or else you go into this playing tournament. That sounds fun. Yeah, I'm, that sounds fun. The team seems like a lot, but I think if the division winners aren't fucked with in any way, I'm okay with it. Okay, great. Is that what's on the board? Is I that... don't know. I don't know what's on the board, okay. but it's none, none of this is going to matter because they're going to take <laughs> April off and probably May. Poor Jeff Passon. Does he get to go home ever? I don't. I mean, I would say he's been in our lives more in the last week and a half than he has in a while, right? <laughs> this is weirdly good for well, Jeff Passon. Oh, okay. Well, I'm saying this is the start of baseball, but as long as this this drags out, he has to be wherever these stupid meetings are happening. I'm going to miss watching the Red Sox. I understand. I, I liked having them on. I don't want to have to drift to Formula One, but it seems like that's what's going to happen. I'm going to be getting up like Saruti and Rosillo and Kevin Clark at five in the morning, West Coast time. Oh, Saruti gets up later. I, so. I I only keep one eye on baseball until um, June anyway, like May June. Keep I one was, eye on it. Is my team good? How's how like are the Nets baseball. doing? I like it too. I had then, a huge comeback with it, it last go. year. Well, because your Red Sox exceeded I expectations. I had a good time. I yeah. just liked having it on. It was sure. you know it was all right. Yeah. Well, uh, before we go, we should just tell Rob Manfred. Um, <laughs> nobody likes you. Nobody. I can't. Haven't heard the positive Rob. Manfred it's important opinion. for you know he's the he's the commissioner villain. He has he. Here's the question to you: Best commissioner villain we've had? Yes. Did no, he Goodell surpass? Is, no. Goodell's still. Wait, the wait. Oh, I was going to say the hockey guy. Batman. Oh, Batman. Yeah. Boo! That he really invented the entire arena boo of the commissioner. Gary Bettman invented. Yeah, that's that. a great point. He became like a wrestling heel. Almost. Yes. Yes. I mean, yes. he did cancel an entire season. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we're in hockey for it was like a year and a yeah, half. I mean this respectfully. Did we miss it? <laughs> well, I I did. I yeah. like I like it. You I like hockey, hockey more than I just do. about anybody I know. You I didn't do miss love it hockey. for a year? I did miss it, yes. Well, we may end up missing baseball. All right, House, it was good to see you. We we're gonna be doing uh winning time on the Prestige TV podcast. People can hear that Sunday night after the first episode. We're gonna be doing the first, at least first couple together. Great. So we will uh we're gonna tape that right now. I'm excited. Let's take a break. This episode of the Bill Simmons podcast is presented by State Farm. If you ever been in an accident and you're okay, but you know what happened? Your first reaction is going to be, man, why did that happen? If you ever buy a new house or a new car or a new anything, there's this little rush you get when you're like, I did it. I made it happen. But really, the only words you need to remember are like a good neighbor. State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to help choose the coverage you need. 
Have coverage options to protect the things you value most. File claim right on the State Farm mobile app and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I understand that some things you just want to keep private. Maybe it's something you don't want anyone to know, or maybe you think it's something minor, so why bother? But if you keep everything bottled up, if you let those emotions sit there and fester, it could be really, really bad for me. Sometimes it depends on what kind of family you're from. Like my dad's family is one of those, they bottle everything up, bottle everything up, and then they all just get mad at each other. Listen, talking things through is more helpful than you think. If you want a safe space for that conversation, I recommend some therapy. Think about the things you can get out of therapy. First of all, a sounding board. You can learn better coping skills. You can learn how to set some boundaries. Maybe how to empower yourself a little better day to day. And if you want to give therapy a try, well, I have an answer. BetterHelp. A convenient and flexible way, since it's entirely online right now. It's easy to get started, too. You can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Bill Simmons today to get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Bill Simmons. All right, you're about to hear an interview I taped with Michael Rubin, CEO of Fanatics. We taped it during Super Bowl week because he was in town. And I think he's really interesting. We had him on a few years ago. And at that point, he was just trying to grow Fanatics and potentially on a team someday. I think he has readjusted that vision. I think he wants to make Fanatics um, the most dominant force for anybody who's a sports fan in all of these different ways. And that was why I asked to talk to him because the stuff that he's up to with collecting and with potentially streaming and gambling, there's a world in which the same way Amazon Prime has been in our lives in a bunch of different ways, that fanatics will just be that for anybody who likes sports. So I want to see what his vision was for all this stuff. He's a good guy to check in with. I think you could make a case he's the most powerful person in sports. If he's not, he's definitely in the top five, but um, he is the one person that I think everybody in all the leagues are afraid of for a variety of reasons that we'll get into in a roundabout way in this interview. But um, I, I think you should listen to this one. So here it is, Michael Rubin. All right, Michael Rubin is here. We are taping this. It is Super Bowl week. It's not going to run until after Super Bowl week. Hectic time. You have a party coming up. You're a part owner of the Sixers. There's NBA trade stuff, but I, that's not what we're here to talk about. You did something. You were on three years ago. So I don't want to do the whole thing where you tell the whole story about Fanatics, how it started, everything. You are now looking at Fanatics as like, a gateway to all these other things. So when you bought Tops and you did your, I'm going to call it a card coup d'etat. When you did that, I was like, oh, he's up to stuff. So can walk me through the card thing first and then we can talk about what you see in the future. You just basically took the card industry by storm. Yeah, so maybe I'll bring it up a level first and then come down to cards to make it make sense. So look, we, we started in the merchandise business with Fanatics really about 10 years ago. I'd sold my old company to uh, to GSI and you know, if there's one thing I've learned uh, from my old business, GSI is like, you want to be number one in everything that you do. And like being number one and being highly differentiated and build, thinking about how to make something great for the fan every day, yep. like, that's a winning combination. And so we spent like the first eight or nine years, like a hundred percent locked in on growing um, what we call Fanatics Commerce, which is our merchandise business. That's operating the NBA store, the NFL shop, the flagship Fanatics store. And that business has grown tremendously. We have a million and a half SKUs that we make available to, to fans and we're always thinking about how to, you know, really improve the fan experience. And so about two years ago, 
I started thinking about where could we go next? And what I realized was the most valuable part of Fanatics wasn't actually the commerce business that we built. It was really um, that we had built this incredible digital sports brand and we had close to 100 million fans. And so for us, the ability to, um, you know, kind of get into new businesses, leveraging our brand and our really larger robust database that most people in North America that are sports fans have bought from Fanatics and we knew a lot about these customers and we could really create a great digital sports experience for them was a big opportunity. And so trading cards was one of the first categories that I looked at beyond merchandise. So actually two categories, to be honest. I looked at video games and trading cards. Mm. And looking at video games, I'm like, okay, EA, Take-Two, Activision. I'm like, yeah, I don't want right, to mess with these. Yeah. I'm, I'm not playing with these guys. They know what they're doing. Yeah, they've and, been in there yeah. like 20, 25, 30 and years. They're, and they're giant companies, 50, $100 billion market cap companies. And then I looked at trading cards and I realized that here was this really, actually pretty big business that was like, you know, had a lot of opportunity to make a much better experience for the collector. So you had, you know, multiple trading card companies that manufacture trading cards. They sell them to distributors, not to retailers. Those distributors sell them to retailers. The retailers sell them to resellers. We put the cards on eBay. We sell them to a collector. Right. And, and we're like, wait a second. We there's could 19 create... middlemen. Yeah, there's so many people in the middle. And we kind of, in the merchandise business that we started, we kind of went more direct to consumer and that built a better business. Here, there's an opportunity to really um, continue to push the direct to consumer business and uh, really improve the collector experience by giving the collector other services they'd want. So, you know, for so us- So you're looking at it like, here's this business that has a lot of potential, but it's cluttered and there's lots of middlemen. And you're in this, you have fanatics where you're like, you just go, I want a Mac Jones jersey. And I go to you and it's at my door a couple of days later. By the way, we make that Mac Jones jersey. Right. We sell that jersey. We put them in the Patriot store. We put them at the NFL shop. We put them at Fanatics. We put them at Dick's Sporting Goods. And so when we saw the trading card business, what we realized was that first, this is an industry that had so much opportunity to really grow, even though there's been great growth in the last couple of years. Realistically, this is like a financial asset that young people are really getting into. And it's like an alternative investment yeah. class. And it's also... Uh, something that's just, it, it's its really something that could, could be so much bigger. So I looked and said, could we grow this industry 10 times, 20 times, 30 times? I thought, yes. And we could build a more direct consumer business. Well, having the hobby shop still be a vital part of what we're doing, but build so many other services that collector wants. Today, it's, it's pretty hard to be a collector. Like yeah. you go out, you buy trading cards and you buy them from one place, then you got to get them shipped to you, then send them to get graded somewhere else. And then, you know, where do you store them? And then, you know, you got to then list them on eBay, then you ship them to somebody else. And like, the idea of creating one kind of integrated end-to-end -end collector's experience is a major unlock. And at the same time, you know, I think Fanatics, you know, it's kind of this, you know, I look at ourselves as a steward for the industry. We have a massive opportunity to really grow this industry exponentially. So my goal for trading cards would be like, how do we make this industry 10 times, 20 times, 30 times bigger in a decade from now than it is? And, you know, this is an industry, there's really been no marketing of trading cards. Like I said to somebody the other day, it's a really big business. There's no marketing. Like we're gonna get in here and figure out how do we really market no, it's all it's all underground shit and friends telling friends and eBay and you know, even like the I used to go to the collectors convention every year. I haven't gone since COVID, but was going, I used to write about it for ESPN and for Grantland and stuff like that. But it was it was like the only one every year. So all these people would come because it was the one time. And you would just think like, why aren't they doing these all over the place in the biggest way and the 
but it's just it was so uncool and poorly thought yeah. out. We know? look at that. And we're like, wait a second, they do this once a year. And it's pretty like it looks like something from fifty years ago. Right. Then you go to like Comic Con. It's the same place every year. It doesn't matter where it is. Right. Cleveland, Chicago. It's it's the exact same thing. And then you look at like Comic Con. You're like, wow, they, they they do something great. Like, how do we invent something like that and put it in you know fifty great cities throughout the world? So yeah, I think there's so much opportunity to grow this industry. And you know, we think you know we set up a really a much better model. We've got the the rights owners that are you know kind of our partners in this business, and that allows us to to you know you know, think about how do we, like everything we do, and by the way, we're going to get better every day, is yeah. about how do we improve the fan experience? How do we improve the collector experience? So when we think about like our, our original business, Fanatics Commerce, like right now we've got a massive um, focus on how do we get packaged customers more quickly. So we're building regional distribution centers all throughout the world yeah. to get packages to customers more quickly. Well, when you think about the trading card business, you think about how do I make a better collector's experience? You talked about the show. You walk into that show, you're like, how is this such a big industry with a show? It seems so backwards. And yeah, there's lots of things we want to take and learn from that. But like, we're thinking about, do we build museums? Do we, you know, what, what are, you know, do we like reinvent like Comic-Con and make it, you know, you know, a, a great thing that we do in many different places um, in the world. So, so there, there, there is a ton of marketing opportunities. One of the things that's amazing, I've just met in the past month or two, there's probably only been five or six influencers behind trading cards. You talk about like Gary V. Um, Mark Wahlberg, Steve Aoki, Rob Kardashian, uh, Logan, Logan Paul. I think that's really like only like people that have been like publicly willing to trade cards. We're going to get all, you know, we're going to bring everyone into trading cards. Like, like it's so easy to, you know, get people excited about this when you show them the investment opportunity, you know, how interesting it is. So, um, you know, I think we're like, we're not even in, in the start of the game of trading cards for us. I've been in it since the eighties. It was really never cool at any point. The pandemic changed it in a lot of ways because I think people were bored and there was this, like this whole eBay run with the cards and then it drifted to NFTs and all these other things. But for the most part, the last 10 years, and I, I was on the top sport in the end of the 2000s and it was always about like what a limited ceiling this was, you know? And I think one of the things that really happened with sports in general the last 12 years is just the individual brands blossoming, right? You know, like when I was on the top sport, Panini took basketball from them. And they didn't know whether they wanted to try to match the offer or not. And in the boardroom, we're talking, we're like, well, these guys are going to be like the next guys. But it was, it was hard for some people to see that. But now it's like, how many individual brands? Everybody's got a card. People know who Mbappe is when he's 20. Um, the guys coming into the league, even this year, uh, or like somebody like John Morant, and people just click, and then they want their cards. They want their jerseys. And you're kind of at the forefront of that now. And here's the most interesting thing. Whether it was when you were on the board, you know, 10, 15 years ago, or today, this is a big business. There's no marketing. There is no more. Like, I don't think, I asked somebody yesterday, I'm like, what percentage of revenue do you think is spent on marketing in trading cards? And it was somebody who was a smart marketing person. They're like, 10 to 15%. I said, how's less than one? It's less than 1%. Jesus. Okay. And by the they way, didn't feel like they needed to because the card collectors were going to find the they cards. Didn't, they didn't think that way. Yeah. And I'm thinking about like, how do I demonstrably grow the industry? How do I, you know, how do I connect um, trading cards to all the, you know, people that matter in the, in, in the world? So I think our overall mentality is going to be to invest in growth and to grow the industry. And so um, this has, business has grown a lot in the last three or four years, certainly. It was growing like crazy before yeah. pandemic. The pandemic was good, 
Um, but by the way, it's been good for art. It's been good for NFTs. It's been, there's, you know, there's <laughs> anything that involves real assets. estate, anything where people are bored. Yeah. Looking at websites. Yeah. But I, I, I I'm think, sure it's been good for fanatics too, in a weird way. No, no. It's it, it, first of all, let, let's keep this real. When the pandemic happened, I remember, um, like the week, early March, 2020, I had so many friends who said to me, like, you know, Hey, is this pandemic going to affect, you know, fanatics? I'm like, Oh, we couldn't be in a better situation. You know, you know, if they don't have fans in the stadiums, er, you know, everyone's going to buy everything online. And that's, you know, you know, we obviously, you know, you know, that that's kind of where we started. So that, that'd be amazing. Never thinking sports would be canceled. I remember driving right. home on, on, on March, whatever it was, the 11th or 12th. Of, uh, and, and I remember I just gone to a game with Guy Ferrari to a, a, a Sixers game. And, you know, the, the season got paused, as we all remember, you know, that, 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 that night. And I went to, we had a quarterly board meeting the next day. And I had all of my big investors there invested billions of dollars in fanatics. I said, hey guys, um, you know, I've been through work stoppages before and with the work stoppage, we're generally down like 50 or 75%. So I'm expecting sales to be down 75%. So like we, between Silver Lake, SoftBank and myself, we may need to do a rescue package for the company. Like, right. like I thought the world was oh, coming Jesus. in. I thought the world was coming in and we weren't going to be here. It, it only took about six weeks till I realized, you know, well, there were no sports. You know, the internet was the primary place to buy um, licensed sports merchandise. And it ended up being a real accelerant for, for our business overall. So it's been great. And it let us really think bigger. We're one of the few companies, you know, so many companies, you know, let employees go during the pandemic, cut back. We actually, you know, kind of invested more, grew more, you know, kind of saw more opportunities. So I think the pandemic's been an accelerant for fanatics. And I think overall- well, It's like what I told you about sometimes when you have a traumatic thing like that, you still have to figure out how to do your business. And sometimes you learn car. things about your business that you didn't know, right? Yeah, traumatic things are amazing. Like for me, um, you know, we were just talking about this a little bit before we started here. Like, yeah, because podcasting. Yeah, like I, I love failing. Like, you know, like, like failing is great. You learn from every failure. Like how do you turn a failure into a positive? And, you know, I screw things up every day, every week, every month. Like I give you a long list of whatever already fucked up in 2022 yeah. and there's a long list in 21. And so, you know, for us, um, you know, we're just, look, we, we have an aggressive, you know, you know, kind of personality as a company. We're always thinking about like, what's the sports fan want digitally and how can we give them more? And so today, what's so fun for me is, you know, starting the merchandise business, uh, continuing to have tremendous growth in the business and also ability to, to grow the overall category. And you always start that through like, how do you make things better for the fan? But everything we're thinking about now, whether it's trading cards, whether it's NFTs, whether it's online sports betting whether it's, you know, over time, potentially media, we're thinking about what can we do to, to really advantage the sports fan? And I think, you know, I look at our company, people are like, wow, you know, Fanatics has kind of grown, it's getting to be a bigger company. Like, bigger company, like, I feel like we're a baby company. Like, we're just starting. Yeah. Well, it's, I think Fanatics ties into whatever has changed. I think this decade is the ultimate example of it, is people just want everything right away. Right, and the pandemic yeah. tapped into that more than anything. I want pizza, oh, I'm gonna do Postmates. I want this jersey, oh, it's gonna be here tomorrow. and everything we're all like the little kids in some ways where it's like i want this and then you get it and fanatics i think like the mac jones thing is a perfect example i got excited about mac jones in august i'm like i'm getting a t-shirt jersey i'm gonna wear it on a podcast and i ordered it and it showed up like a day later and i'm like what the hell what are, what is what is there like a fanatics warehouse making this stuff like outside my house but you're ready for that you're ready for the impulse whatever yeah the whole business was created around um, you know, demand of sports changed so much because a guy like Mac Jones, no one really paid attention to. No one had the expectations he'd come in and play as well as he did. And 
in his first season. He comes out, he does well, and he became the tops on Jersey for several weeks during that NFL so you, season. You're ready to audible the moment that flips. That's right. So we, we, what we'll do is we, and we, we make a lot of merchandise on demand. We keep a lot of blank jerseys and then, um, and, and we have a lot of just in time manufacturing that allows us to better service the, 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 the fan. But by the way, we have to keep getting better. Like we have, like, I think today in our original business, which is our biggest business, the, the commerce business, which is merchandise, I still think there's so much growth ahead. There's so much innovation for the fan. There's so many opportunities to continue to be bring broader assortments, even though we sell a million and a half SKUs today, like we're just getting started. So it's like we have this gigantic assortment. We're going to keep broadening the assortment. We're going to keep getting into new categories. We're going to keep figuring out how to get things to you faster. Like I can't wait till, you know, we integrate all the venues that we operate throughout the world to be able to leverage that inventory. Like today we have, you know, we operate 50 venues, um, you know, globally, you know, we've got probably, you know, 10 warehouses, but we're, I mean, we're going to continue to add dozens of warehouses and we're starting to duplicate inventory for the first time so we can get it to mm. the fan more quickly. So like, we're always saying like, whatever we do, it's not good enough. How do we do it a lot better? So one of the challenges that it seems like you solved is, oh, I want a Mac Jones jersey and you just hastened the ability for me to get that. But the other thing is like Joe Burrow, who I don't think, I don't think people are clamoring for Joe Burrow jerseys around the world. But now the last three weeks, Joe Burrow becomes Joey Burr. Like somebody like my son, and I'm taking to the Super Bowl on Sunday. He's like, I'm rooting for the Bengals. I love Joe Burrow. It's like, you barely knew who Joe Burrow was three weeks ago. But all of those people are buying Joe Burrow stuff. And you just kind of have to be ready for that moment, right? Whoever it is. You don't know who it is. Yeah, so I'll tell you something crazy. And I'll probably get in trouble for telling you this. Although I'm telling you uh, in yeah. advance when this will run. So when it runs, it'll right, be... Right, right. Uh, you know, it, it'll, it'll be, uh, it'll, it'll be a little past, but I just looked if the Bengals win the Super Bowl, we have it projected to be the biggest Super Bowl in the history of fanatics, bigger than the Eagles, bigger than the Patriots, bigger than any team that ever won. And the reason is because they've never won a Super Bowl before. And the team's been in Cincinnati for so long. There's so much heritage and fans are just clamoring for Bengals merchandise. Now think about this. Well, that's the first but, title purchases. Everybody who wins their first title, you have to buy everything. Everything, for sure. Yeah. That, that's about a rule. If you live in Cincinnati, yeah. you grew up in Cincinnati. I, that was me, my it's first actually, Pat Super Bowl. Yeah. I'm like, what can I get? It's a law. You have to spend yeah. at least $300. At yeah. Fanatics, of course. Um, but the interesting thing is that I bet you two years ago, they were probably a bottom three team. They were probably like team number 20, bottom three, 29, I, th I think they 30. were probably last. They could have been 32. They got a couple other guys that compete with there. But here's my point. It yeah. was like, you know, they were like a half a percent of the total NFL business. And now they could be the number one Super Bowl ever. And that's what makes our business so interesting yet so complicated because we need to be able to take a team that could be in last place and people have no interest in. And then a year later, they could win the Super Bowl and it could be the number one team. And we have that just-in-time manufacturing to capitalize on that. But we got to keep making it better. We got to keep figuring out, you know, how can we be faster? How can we keep making more products? How can we create better quality like you, you're never good what about like the push somebody who's there already like john morant right popular star not really a superstar by any means and now he's having like his year he's yeah. becoming a thing so it's like you already have some john morant stuff but how do you identify the moment of oh this guy's actually becoming a thing now is it demand like how do you assess it yeah so so we're we're really out of the business of predicting what's going to happen and really build the capabilities to be able to take the changes in demand. To move immediately. Yeah. So so for us, you know, blank jerseys in every team. Now, certainly when someone plays for Memphis, a little bit harder because that's going to be one of the yeah. least desired teams. Um, you know, much easier when someone emerges on the Lakers or the Knicks or the Nets or the Sixers than it is on, um, you know, on, on, on the Grizzlies. But, um, 
you know, none, nonetheless, you know, we've built a whole business to capitalize on kind of the changes that happen to me. And it's interesting. I mean, every year there's giant changes that happen in sports. Well, I would imagine the trade deadline, you have to be ready for that too. Definitely. The Sixers trade for Russell Westbrook. I, I know you can talk about players. I'm I just, just smiled. Throw, I just smiled. I just smiled when you said that. <laughs> but whoever, you don't know what the trades are. Tyrese Halliburton, as we're taping this, is suddenly on the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, and, that, and that's our business. And that's what creates demand because, you know, sports is like the most important thing to so many people. You've got, you know, you live in, you live in Indy and, you know, something happens you like, you want to go out and you want to, you know, celebrate your team and celebrate your new player. There's no better way to do it than to, you know, wear their merchandise, yeah. you know, buy their trading card, trade an NFT from them, um, you know, play some sports bets on them. And we want all that to happen to Fanatics and we're working to really integrate that. And one of the things we're thinking about now, which is really interesting is how do we take each thing that we do and then find a way to make it better when fans do kind of everything with us, you know, kind of think about like what a great product Amazon Prime is. Yeah. And you think about how can we create kind of our version so you of wanna, Prime. So basically it's like sports Amazon Prime crossed with fandom that isn't just merchandise anymore. Because And going back to the cards, you have this huge database. You have this ability to react fast. Um, two things that the card industry just has not had. So then how do you leverage that and put that back so that if I love Panini Prisms and I can't wait for the new boxes because I love Evan Mobley, which is true, by the way. I want to get Evan Mobley rookie cards. I actually love this draft class. I'm ready to buy boxes. But the boxes aren't out yet. I don't even know when they're coming out. You know, like, so if you can fix that and solve that and it's like, I'm ready and limited edition, how do you, how do you worry about like the limited edition piece? Because that's such a big yeah, part so, of cards. So, so scarcity in trading cards is that, right. you know, a core part of what they're about. The interesting thing right now is there's so much more demand than supply and trading cards today. But that's how but it has to stay. That's the point. And that's what we think about long-term. And that's what I'll tell you. I don't think, um, to be honest, the trading card companies have really thought that much about that. You know, they think about it in the near term, what's happening this year, what's happening next year. I'm thinking about like five years from now, 10 years ago, what's that car going to be worth in the secondary market? Because ultimately that's an indication of, is this a good alternative investment for an investor to make? How and, do you control the secondary market or, or is it well, even I, possible? I, I think I think we have a lot of influence in the secondary market based on building great product, yeah. and innovating product. Okay, and by the way, as we went out to, um, you know, get in the trading card business and our plans became public last August, you know, so many people wrote to me and said, here are the things you should do to make the product better. And so we're always thinking about better product, better marketing. What did they say? Give uh, me a couple. Well, sh I mean, you, you always hear about, uh, you know, um, how autographs are signed is obviously something I'm sure you know about. You, you, you get I the, stay away. I don't trust them. Yeah. You, you get that, you get that feedback all the time. Um, scarcity is really important. People, you know, people want to make sure they can buy things that are truly special. Did they, they tell you about the upper deck Ken Griffey season, 1989? No. Tell me. Ken Griffey, you know, the Willie Mays of his generation of at the time, everyone wanted the Ken Griffey card. And at the same time, it's like, I think Shaq was 91, like that whole era. It was the, uh, it's, it's called basically the everybody got screwed era because they just made way more product than we realized. So we're like, oh, I got to get a Ken Griffey card. There's like, a, you know, Upper Deck made a million baseball boxes. So basically the cards aren't worth anything that we thought. Yeah, so, so that makes so much sense. I mean, I'll tell you the thing that's very different with Fanatics, we only think long-term. Like, look, you know, this is, you know, I'm the founder of this business. It's become a decent-sized business. It's got huge growth ahead of it. Um, you know, we're just start, starting in so many of the different businesses we're in. But we think super long-term about everything we do. So like, you know, trading cards in the old days, kind of like a mom, mom and pop business. Yeah. Whether you talk about the trading card shows or you talk about this, hey, Upper Deck just making however many cards were, 
um, you know, they could sell. But that's why this is so interesting because you're basically taking this old rundown house and you're like, I'm going to turn this into a mansion. People are like, what? Right. I, like, got to, I still have the same oven from 1952. Yeah. You know, I think people really realize, like, because I, I see the feedback on social media all the time. People realize in trading cards that having the right kind of vision in this industry will exponentially grow and figuring out how to build a much better collection experience. Like, could you think about, you know, in a few years from now, if you could go to one place and you could, you know, buy those, um, you know, basketball cards that you just talked about in a direct-to-consumer format. And again, hobby shops are always going to be really important to us. But think about it, you could buy more of a direct-to-consumer. You can then decide you want it shipped to you. Do you want to grade it? Do you want it stored? Do you yeah. want it insured? Do you want it financed? Do you want to put it in the secondary marketplace? Um, like, think about doing all of that in one place, how good the experience can be. But there's a couple of people doing that right now. Yeah, but there's there's no one that's doing doing integrating the primary that has cards the product. Yeah. with the secondary. It all starts with the primary cards. So there's no one who's really thinking about doing it with the primary cards and then integrating the whole thing through. Like somebody might say, I want to buy the box. Don't even mail it to me. Store it in some location and you or guys how about are I want it broken? How about I want to buy the box and I want to put it into a breaking? Yeah. So there's so many different things you can do right now. So we're, we're, I'm, a, I'm a believer that this industry got to where it is today more on being in the right place at the right time and yeah. I, I don't want this to come across wrong because we have, you know, 350 great associates at Tops who work their asses off every day. Yeah. And, you know, we're so fortunate to have them part of our company. Um, but I, there wasn't like a strategic plan that said, hey, here's where we, we're, how we're going to get trading cards. And we're going to create a, you know, we're going to have great growth and we're going to have a pandemic come. And like, you know, it's a lot of what happened was by good fortune. I don't believe in good fortune as a recipe for the future. I believe in like building a great product and being a great marketing company. And so we're going to really push um, the limits on, you know, innovating from a product perspective. And we're going to start marketing for the first time. There's no, there is not a marketing function within the trading card industry. Like I can't wait to take some of the profits and invest back in, in, in marketing to grow, to get more collectors into this. Like there's only, there's only probably 5 million collectors of trading cards in the world. Right. Like I want there to be 50 million collectors or 500 million collectors. And so that's what we're, but that's what we're thinking about. This episode is brought to you by Lincoln and the all new 2024 Nautilus Hybrid, featuring a customizable 48 inch panoramic display, available Revel audio system, and available perfect position front seats with active motion massage. Oh my God. The world isn't wide enough. Visit lincoln.com to learn more. Some models, trims, and features may not be available or may be subject to change. Check with your local retailer for current information. Lincoln and Nautilus are trademarks of Ford or its affiliates. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank. Unlike this podcast, some things in life should be boring, like banking, because boring is pragmatic and responsible, level-headed, wise, all the things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be exciting. Exciting is for three-point buzzer beaters, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money, because when your money is doing what you need it to, you can do all the unboring things you want to do with it. PNC Bank Brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is the service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Inc., PNC Bank National Association. Member FDIC. Are you the only person who could have pulled this off? I don't say that in a kiss-ass way because I think it had to be somebody who had the relationships with the leagues that made the leagues willing to basically turn, I don't want to say turn their backs on people they worked with forever, but that's kind of what happened. Yeah. So, so 
let me answer both of those questions. Um, so as you get to know me better, I'm actually pretty humble. I could tell you all the things I've screwed up in my life and you know, I could give you a list of things that I suck at doing. Yeah, but you're, uh, um, you're a huge partner for all these different people. So, so, so the answer to your question is realistically, yes. I'm probably, we're probably the only company, I may be the only person who could have pulled it off. Because they need you for other stuff. Well, we need each other, but here's what really happened. No one, trading cards was so small to the, to the, to the sports properties. Yeah. And so when we, we didn't, they didn't want to turn their back on their existing partners. It's, we brought them a completely different model. Here's what we said to the sports properties. Look, there's so much money being made in this business and you're, you're, not, you're, not, making you're not making any, any from it. Okay. Well, like, Hey, this is a 10 or $15 billion industry today. It's growing like crazy. By the way, you guys make a few hundred million dollars in royalties. So you get, you're capturing like 2% of the, yeah, congratulations. Of the business. You, you guys are the kind other ninety eight percent out the window. You, yeah, you're not so smart. And so once we explained to him that, you know, a trading card got made, went to a got sold to a distributor who made a lot of money selling to a retailer, who made a lot of money selling to a reseller, who then put it on eBay to then sell it to a collector. And by the way, all those people in the ecosystem, they all matter. They're all important. But there wasn't like a strategic person thinking about, okay, how do I build a better business? So when you yeah. say, okay. Number one, what's the first thing I want to do? I want to demonstrably grow this business. Like, I want to think about how do I market this industry for the first time? They're like, wait a second, no one's marketing trading cards? Yeah, no, nothing's happened today. It's all been by, you know, good fortune. Okay, right. now let me show you how experience works. You tell them, go out and figure out how to buy a trading card. And you look at these companies and, you know, there's no capital invested in the companies. There's, you know, they've just been trying to kind of, you know, milk the profits lately. So you walk them with a plan to a sports property and say, look, we can build, you know, this business with, more direct to consumer while still really having the, the hoppy shops be a big part of it. Um, we can build a much better collector experience. You can make money on sales that go directly to consumer. You can give the consumer more value. We can invest in better product. We can invest in marketing. We can integrate an experience together. Like, wow, this is awesome. And then they're like, but, but wait a second, Finax, you've got close to 100 million customers. So you know who most of these customers are. Um, you, know, we, you know, you can back up this financially. Um, so it took, our size and scale and relationships and also our entrepreneurial vision. I don't think there was realistically, it was, it, it, I'm not sure that somebody else could have done that. People what was the moment that it. you saw? Was it somebody that worked for you or were you just sitting around one day and like it, there had to be it, some it, light bulb it's, moment. it's actually a great story. So um, I, in the middle of 19, started for the first time thinking about how do I really grow fanatics beyond our first business, the commerce business or the merchandise business. And um, I thought about, okay, what businesses in the consumer products world that I live in, what do we not sell? There are only two categories. It was video games and trading cards. Like mm. I said, video games was like, I'm out in 10 seconds, okay? That didn't take long to figure out. So that was it. So that's, so, so then so you no, started so, fixating on no, it. No, so then I started studying because that's always what I did. Yeah. Like, remember, you gotta remember, I legitimately didn't go to college. Yeah. Barely made it out of high school. So like my way of learning is like, I just meet people, I ask questions, I'm like a sponge. And so I went out first to um, Tops and Panini to meet them, to hear their pitches. I went out to um, the leagues, the players associations. By the way, Gary V had been beating on me for like five years saying, Michael, you gotta get in the training cards business, you gotta get in the training cards business. All right, he actually sent me a video. One of these days when I posted, it was like him like, bludgeoning me like 2016 or 17 about getting in the trading card business. So, so I kept realizing like there was a lot of opportunity. And then I went to meet Josh Luber, the founder of StockX. And Josh said to me, you know, let me explain to you exactly how this works. He, and he said, look, the trading card manufacturers sell them to the distributors. 
The distributors sell them to the, the retailers. The retailers sell them to resellers, like what we had to StockX, who then right. put them on eBay. We then sell them to the you know collector. And all, all I had to do was say that sentence to me, and it clicked in my head. Yeah. And then I finally got the opportunity. But it's at the end of the day, it's all about the IP. Like you're only like our whole business, and we get this. We're humble about this, man. Our whole business is about you know the incredible IP that we work with from the professional collegiate, you know sports properties, the players, the players associations. And so, um, you know, we always think about how to build a better business for them. And so we knew that if we could create a better business, there was a, you know, a much better experience for the collector and we could have, you know, these, 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 these organizations be part of it. It was kind of a pretty easy sale. So you kind of talk about, Hey, they were in business with, you know, upper deck tops, Panini, some of the other trading card companies. You explain this to somebody once their immediate reaction was, yeah, we're in. It was like, it was actually the easiest sale in the world. Like I went and I pitched this to, you know, Dean Marie Smith, who runs the Players Association for the NFL, or I pitched it to, you know, Tony Clark, who runs the Major League Baseball Players Association, or to, you know, Rob Manford, or to, you know, yeah. Adam Silver. And like people got this in one second because, yeah. you know, they understood they don't make a lot of money from this today. Um, by the way, you want to connect with your fans. Like think about how important trading cards are to connect with your fans. Like I love the passion you're talking about for, with me for trading cards, that's amazing. So there's so much And they could integrate it in the broadcast. There's all, all kinds of ways. But, but we haven't even started, like I'm telling and you- you're thinking about auctions and NFTs and all kinds yeah, of stuff, look, right? we're already one of the you know big three players in the NFT business day with Candy, a business that we started a year ago. Um, but it's like, and these things all integrate together too. So you know, for us, when you think about Fanatics in a couple of years from now, you're gonna kind of have the Fanatics super app and you'll be able to go there to get yeah. your merchandise or you know buy your trading cards or trade them in the marketplace or- buy NFTs and trade them there. You'll be able to get, you know, from us over time, you'll be able to place your online sports bets, do other gambling. Over time, probably have some type of uh, ticketing offering, some. Wait a second, let's talk about this super app. Because I was at ESPN and it's weird, even though you guys have two different businesses, but I do think you're in a very similar spot to where ESPN was around 03, 04, where they were the dominant, entity in this one thing, right? And if you remember, they started thinking about what else can we do? Can we open sports bars? Can we do Gatorade? Can we start making original films? And they just started, we have a website. Well, and we have this magazine and they just tried to do all these things, honestly, to mix results. Some of the stuff worked. Some of the other stuff didn't work. Um, but I think, in that case, probably a lot didn't work realistically. A lot. Okay. Yeah. But I think they, they were always worried about how do we grow? How do we grow? How do we grow? They did the ESPN international stuff. And, and again, some of it worked. It seems like you're in a similar thing where you're like, I know this is now everything I've just built is now the, the home base for now, this other stuff that I have to do for us to continue to grow. Is that yeah. fair? Uh, so first off, I think it's really important to figure out when you get into a new business, like why are you getting in it? Yeah. How is it going to be better for the sport fan? And if it's not, if you can't answer that question, like quit before you start. So you don't so, think ESPN the zone that you don't think they've thought about that? Like, that like look, you know, I'm <laughs> huge fans of ESPN overall, but when I think about opening restaurants, like I don't, you know, we're not, yeah. more, you know, how many Fanatics restaurants have you seen so far? Zero. Right. Yeah. And don't, don't plan on seeing but any. Fanatics Gatorade, not going to happen. Yeah, not, not, not going to happen. Cause that's like, <laughs> it's like when I think, when I think about like video games, I was like, Hey, you know what? By the way, EA has got a pretty good business in sports video games as yeah. does take two. Okay. Don't see me playing with those guys. So you're only going in if I'm you can be place, one of the dominant people I, in whatever it is. Yeah. I think, look, if we can't be the number one player in the space long term, you know, I don't think that's interesting to us. And I think, if we, but, but, but to be the number one player, what do you have to do? You have to make it 
much better for the fan. And again, I don't look at where we are today. I look at where we're going. So there's so many things today I think we suck at. Okay. Yeah. Just being honest. And I'm always, but, but well, how our, many years are you now? Like nine, 10, yeah, 12, nine, 10 years. But guess yeah. what? I'll be doing this in another 30, 40 years. I'll still yeah. be having a blast. So long as I'm on, on this planet, I'm going to be doing this and I'm going to be keep pushing the envelope for everything we do. So when I think about things we're, we're going to get into, um, I think about how do we make it better um, for the fan? How do we make it better for the collector and the, and the trade cards? I get trading cards. I think there's so much to do. Like if you th think about the trading card industry and you think about us getting into it, could you think about a better company to um, you know, have a lot of vision for that industry that's going to think long-term. It's going to be for the first time that's going to market database and immediacy are right. like the two things and I would capital, want. capital yeah. and vision, you know, like, and so, and how bad did the trading card business need that? Yet it was pretty big business. Right. Okay. All right. Think about sports gambling today. Yeah. I mean, so I was going to ask, yeah, so how does gambling fit into that? Because yeah, everyone's look, trying to get in that space now. Yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, we think long-term, we think strategically. First thing, I think we have real structural advantages. We have, you know, Fanatics, I think is the most, you know, digitally uh, oriented transactional um, brand, uh, sports brand. And I think, you know, we have this huge advantage in our database. Like, I mean, I have on average 50 attributes, you know, from each, you know, fan, which that means I can better personalize the experience for them. I can, you mm -hmm. know, make sure that, you know, I'm giving them the sports fan really what they want. And that, by the way, that gets better every day. And, um, you know, long-term, look, I think we're gonna have billions of, look, my goal for Finax is really simple. I want to have billions of sports fans globally look at Fanatics' beloved brand and use us to do most things digitally. That's like the long-term So you want to watch a game with them? Yeah, I want to. They can gamble with you. They can buy a card from you. They can write after the game. I didn't realize I like this guy so much I'm buying his jersey. Or his NFT. Or, or his a trading NFT, card whatever. The moment. You yeah. just want to be there with the person. That's right. That's right. And for us, but we're not going to get in anything. Like, if I don't think it can be big. Yeah. And if I don't think we can make it much better for the fan or collector, like, we're out. Like, so, how, so, so there are a lot of business. We look at it like people pitch me on stuff all the time. I'm yeah. like, yeah, great business. Not for me. No, like we say no 99% of the time. And so, you know, we got to think about how can we like trading. If you really think about it, merchandise, we, we've built a nice foundation. We're building a nice business in merchandise. You agree with that, correct? Yes. Okay. Trading cards. When you think about it now, were we the perfect company to get into that business? I would say yes. That's right. one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you right. today. NFTs, candy, what we're doing now. Same thing. Leveraging the database, leveraging the brand. By the way, we're going to, I mean, we're building a big business now. We, we're, we, by the way, we started the business a year ago. I did, to be clear, I'll say this right here clearly. I did not know what an NFT was 15 months ago. Okay. Are we, are we, NFT is the only one I'm a little dubious of. By the way. It did, feels like the uh, wild, wild west. Hold and on. I don't trust it. And hold on, hold on. I'm so, not in yet. So, so am I. Yeah. So am I. But let me tell you this. Do I believe it's going to be a big business long-term? Absolutely. Do I think there could be major crashes along the way? Definitely. Is and it going to be incredibly hard to regulate? And is there going to be a ton of fraud? The, Probably. The, and there's going to be lots of issues. But here's the thing. If we take a like, here's what I'm trying to do. Build a great long-term product for the sports fan that billions of sports fans using. And so what? If you get into business and it crashes and it cracks and it gets better, that's opportunities for us. Then we bring in right. more capabilities. We buy things. So like, you know, our best periods of time, COVID was great for us. The financial collapse 2008 was great for us. The internet bust of 2001 was great for us. I love those times. Like those are times, you know, those are my glory days, baby. Tra drama. <laughs> yeah, we, we love yeah. drama. Drama's but good for us. The uh, the ESPN piece, do you see a world where you could be potentially like a network or? Look, I, look, I think- a, you know, a place that resembles ESPN, Fox, some of these other places? Look, I think more about streaming media. Than yeah, yeah, obviously. Been, like yeah, that yeah. 2020s version of it. Yeah, um, definitely. Like, do I think live sports fits into what we're doing long-term? Absolutely. I mean, are, are we- do you see us running out to do it tomorrow morning? No, but I mean, 
Do I have believe- to merge with somebody to get that done or could you do it yourself? Look, look, there were rumors that we, we were evaluating the, the regional sports business as an example. Um, you know, we think that's a business that needs a lot of innovation. Uh, there's nothing that we're doing imminently in that business. But, you know, do I think, you know, what would I hope the fanatic, what we look like in five years? I hope you can watch, you know, you know, a reasonable amount of live sports with us. I hope that you, when you're watching live sports, we figure out how to personalize a great experience for one person bets, another person's trading training guards, another person's buying their merchandise, somebody else is getting tickets to an event. I mean, I think we're, I think we can do something pretty special for the customer. And look, at our core, we're a direct to consumer company. We have a lot of good DNA around it. We have 9,000 people that go to bed and wake up every day just in the commerce business. Okay. We now, have, you know, 350 people, 400 people in the trading card business. 100 people in the NFT business. We're, you know, ramping very quickly in, in the online sports betting business. So there's, um, you know, and these businesses, we will not get into something again if it's not really big, and if we don't think we can really differentiate long-term for the fan. But you wanted to be an owner. I don't know how you're an owner of one of these teams while doing all the stuff you're trying to do at the same time. Yeah, so I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, you, unless you just aren't going to sleep. Yeah, well, first of all, I don't sleep. And my sleeping is like, the, if you want to talk about one, one of the many really screwed up things about me, my sleep is really, really bad. Like, like I've been going to bed now, and you can test this if you want. I go to bed at like 11 o'clock. I generally wake up around 2 or 2.30, and I have this worse habit. I then get on my phone. I never go back to bed. And then I just uh, give up at 5 o'clock and get out of bed. So I'm now, like, my sleep is the worst I've ever been. I'm actually... That um, sounds terrible. Yeah. That's not healthy. My girlfriend's been complaining to me that even, I though, we, so. we, even though we have uh, one daughter, another daughter coming that, 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 that we're not married. And so I told her I was going to get an aura ring as a commitment last night at dinner. Oh. And, and so I thought that was going to be, we'd start with these aura rings, which um, everyone's looking at me like I'm nuts. So we're going to start measuring my, uh, my, 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 my sleep. Uh, but it, it's bad. It's very bad. So you're, you're just, you're ready to go. So do you, do you but, still but, want to own a team or no? No, I, I don't honestly. Cause so, you were there with the Panthers. Yeah. yeah look, I, I got really, you know, deep on the Panthers and I think the Panthers had, I want to own a team would have been the right situation for me. Here's the bottom line. Had I bought the Panthers, I would have become obsessed with that and we would have never grown. That's what I was going to say. I don't business. see how you do that half-assed. You can't. Let me tell you something. To own a sports team and to be a good sports team owner, you need to be completely obsessed with winning championships for your city. And each year, you don't win yeah. a championship for your city, you have failed. Right. Okay. And by the way, I've been a 10% owner of the Sixers. Yeah. Um, you know, we've been in the Sixers for 10 years. We haven't won a championship yet. So we Good failed. purchase though. Yeah. But yeah, but I don't care. Like, no one, people don't buy sports teams to make, like, honestly, the people that, that buy sports you, teams. You made money on that one though. Yeah, you did, but it like. That was a steal. All those teams uh, yeah, in, in but, that range when all those NBA teams. Of course, anyone who for, bought a sports team from ridiculous. 2000 and. 2008 to 2012. Yeah, was yeah you could, but, but we didn't like. The Warriors like, was the most egregious. I agree, but like, let's keep this real. Um, if you own a sports team, you have one responsibility. It's yeah. to win a championship each year. And when that year ends and you haven't won a championship, you failed. You don't say like, hey, we made it to the second round of the pre- playoffs. We're proud of ourselves. Oh, no. You're here to win championships. From my perspective, um, and anyone who tells you anything differently, that they shouldn't be an owner, okay? Yeah. Um, so from my perspective, I went hard after the Panthers at a time when I was only in the merchandise business. And had I bought the Panthers, I would have never obsessed with growing fanatics the way that I have and really built the business into what it is today, but more importantly, set the foundation to build it into what I can in the future. I get phone calls every day about, um, you know, do I want to buy a sports team? I got we, two people reached out to me yesterday involved in the Broncos process and said, hey, do you have any interest mm. in the Broncos? I am not making any further investments in sports teams for a lot for decades it's just not broncos it's it's, it's it's but it's not it's not where i am in my broncos life. is an amazing purchase but it's a great franchise that, don't you think that should be like five billion like think, whatever it, they it, think it is i think it's it, like a billion more 
Well, I think your neighborhood is probably what it will. So I, look, it's, yeah. it, it's going to get a big price tag and it's a great franchise. I was the only one telling people the Clippers were going to go for $2 billion. So I was on listen, TV and get, I was like, this is how it's going to go. And people are like, that's crazy. I'm like, all right, you yeah. wait. But I, I got I to tell you something. You've got to, like, one of the things we need in sports are great owners. What makes a great owner? Someone who's going to ingratiate themselves in the market, who's going to, like, wake up and go to bed obsessed with winning championships. Spend some and, money. Don't try yeah. to cut costs. And, and for me, I don't have that time or that yeah. interest today. Like, look, I own 10% of the Sixers. I grew up in Philadelphia. You know, Josh Harris and David Blitzer are the two main owners. Um, you know, I support them where I can. I spend very little time on it. And you know what? Um, you know, in a little bit of time, I could probably add, you know, some value to that team. And that's yeah. it. I have no interest in doing anything else whatsoever. Like, there is there is no situation in any sport anywhere in the world that has me want to do anything other than make Fanatics, you know, this beloved brand by billions of sports fans. So that's what I'm focused on. And so, no, you will not see me make, invest another dollar in anything from a sports what, ownership perspective. What was the moment you realized, like, what year was it? Was it during the pandemic or before when you were like, all right, fan, Fanatics was phase one. What's phase two and what is phase, like, when did you start mapping out in your head? Yeah. Because the last time we talked, it wasn't mapped out in your head. It definitely not. So I'd say from 2000, so eBay bought GSI in June of 2011. And, um, I'd say it wasn't until summer of 19. So it was eight years mm. of like just complete and utter focus where I didn't look up, yeah. um, that we only thought about the merchandise business. And then I think we realized, wait a second, we built this, you know, pretty big digitally oriented transactional sports brand and we've got close to hundred million customers and, um, we have a pretty big opportunity here and where could we go with it? And I think different than when you talk about ESPN, who you talk about kind of all the different things they tried. And by the way, we'll try things that fail, like for sure. Um, but, and we'll fail many things. But I think when we get into a business, we're pretty sure that we've got a way to make it much better for the fan. Yeah. And that we can be number one and that it's a big business. And if it's not, we're not messing around with it. You know what ESPN's biggest problem was? They didn't really have a true competitor. When you're not a competitor, yeah, they don't, you, you, you can kind of- need people to keep you sharp. Yeah, you can kind of coast, you know, yeah. and it was really, especially being there in the moment, it was, they they pushed a couple times, but sometimes you feel like you don't have to because you are, you're winning. You're the 27 Yankees. Yeah, I always You say, don't know when it's going to flip. For them, it flipped because of this, the cable subscribers. Yeah, what I always say, say is, is like, I'd rather disrupt myself than have someone else disrupt me. Yeah. And so, um, you know, people would say, hey, you know, NFTs could disrupt trading cards. And I think both are going to grow each other. But, you know, for me, like, I, and by the way, I have lots of questions. You you talk to me, like, I'll keep it real and honest here. Like, I was, you know, I had um, lunch with Scooter Braun yesterday and Scooter said to me, like, I think this thing's going to be really big, NFTs. So I think there's going to be a huge crash and it's going to, you know, it could go to, you know, down, you know, most of it in between. I said, you're, I think you could be right. He's like, you know, you put you on one of these big NFT companies. And I said, but hey, look, and the way I think about it is, do sports fans want these long-term? Yes. Should I be in the business? Yes. Do we know exactly how it's going to go? Absolutely not. And if I told if I told you I did, it'd be full of it. Well, that was like Spotify's strategy with live audio. It's like Daniel basically said, I don't know if this is going to be a thing or not, but if it becomes a thing and we're not there, how are we the leader in audio? Like we and, have and to be there. I think about business the same yeah. exact way. I think about things like that was a business we had to be in. And, um, you know. And if it's not a thing, then at least you did it and it's a write-off. I'm pretty confident that NFTs are going to be really big long-term, but. I'm thinking about NFTs for the sports fans and say a lot of people think about NFTs um, as kind of like for the crypto community. And I think both are important, but I'm really thinking about more for the sports fan. Like I'd rather sell a $50 NFT to, 
billions of sports fans than sell a 500,000 or billion dollar, you know, like I'm not trying to sell million dollar individual NFTs today as the primary thing. I'm thinking about how do I do something that's going to get more engagement with sports? Like everything we do should engage fans more with sports. And, you know, by the way, I think like, you know, whether it's online sports betting, whether it's um, trading cards, whether it's NFTs, these are getting more engagement in sports for your your favorite team, your favorite player. It's great. It's, it's unbelievable. Think about all the ways we can integrate these businesses too. Like you could, you know, long-term you could watch, you know, a live game with us. You like a play, like I said, you get an NFT of that play. Do you worry about you, attendance at all going forward with this stuff? Um, look, everyone, you have to worry about attendance. Like, you know, at, at the end of the day. I'm, I'm super worried about yeah, it. Yeah, like, but, 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 you know, look, at the end of the day, I'm not worried about engagement of sports. That I'm not. That's the thing. But yeah, I think so, we've so made it's it. it's just people we, shift how they do we've things. We've made that, it so much more fun to just stay home and watch sports that there's just less of a need to actually go to a sporting event. Like Giannis was in town on Sunday. 10 years ago, I'm like, I'm not missing Giannis. And this time I was like, eh. Yeah, look, look, I, I, I still love going to Me too. Sixers games live, but what, why I tell you, you know, I consume my media much different today. I get a lot of clips, you know, a lot. Right. You know, the biggest place I consume my sports media is on Instagram watching highlights. And for my, for my son, it's TikTok. Yeah. And he feels like he knew what happened this whole football season and probably watched 10% of it with me. And, and so but my, he knew what was going on. And so my job is a digital sports company is to figure out as these new things keep emerging, where can we do something that's differentiated, yeah. better and big? And by the way, you don't see us trying to own social media because you know this few companies like this thing called you know Instagram or Facebook yeah. or TikTok or um, you know they're, they're they're pretty big companies. So you know I don't think we could add a lot of value there, and that's why we're not trying to compete with them. The flip side is we see other things where we're like, yeah, we can you know look online sports betting. I think you know long term this is a uh, this is a business. I think it's going to be a big business. I think it's one where we have a lot of competitive advantages, and you know, I think we'll we'll, I'd we'll love be to a major see in California. Who are you? Who are you jealous of? When I'm you look around, who are you, who yeah. are you like? Oh, that so and so. I like what they're doing there. Um, who am I jealous? Of? This is, a this great is always a good question. People, it's a, it, yeah, it's a great. They it's never know great. if they actually want to answer. No, no, I'll answer, I'll answer anything. I'll answer any question. You know, I, I'd say. If I'd say, who am I jealous of? You know, he's just top of my mind because I just, you know, I was just texting with him um, a couple hours ago. Probably Tom Brady. You look at Tom Brady, you're like, this guy, he's the nicest guy on the planet. <laughs> yeah. Um, he wins in everything he's doing. But I'm not actually, it's not, jealous is such the wrong word. I'm I actually, was thinking more like, yeah. like a, like a because, business. Because, you know, I, I try, I try, what I was trying to say is, here's someone who's like winning in so many places. Yeah. I, it's not jealous. I'm more respect and am inspired I'm more, I'm more like inspired a business, by like a business, business that you're like oh by. look at those guys okay, what a sure. great idea okay. i wish i had thought of yeah that. so i mean business you're jealous of amazon i mean they're a beast yeah um nike they're a beast um you know apple like i'm jealous of the best but companies. those are like 25 30 50 uh, year companies right. and, you know i'm and so i'm 49 and i've been at this for 10 years and you know i want to be bigger and better than they are one day so you know you have a chance yeah so so for me like look i think we can create one of the most you know, valuable companies and technology and one of the, maybe the most valuable company in sports. And do so tickets factor into that. I think tickets, so tickets do, I'd say a couple of things. One, we want to make sure we can do something that's better for the fan. I haven't, I don't know that we have the answer to that yet. Like yeah. right now, what I hear about tickets is like, I hate the company I buy my tickets from. Yeah. That's not, that's not something that I, it gets me excited. So I think we got to figure out how, how we can do but it. But I would be think that would be different. the opportunity. Right. That's what I'm saying. We got to figure out how to do it better and different. I don't have the answer yet. And so do I think, here's what I tell you, should tickets be part of our platform? Absolutely, yes. Should tickets be done the way they are today, part of our platform? I don't think so. I think we need to find a way to do better for the fan. Hmm. All right. Well, you're planning a Super Bowl party. By the time 
people hear this, it will happen. They, how many Super Bowl fighters have you had? Well, it started for us. This is at when least I used like to fifth or sixth, right? No, well, the, the real origin of this, I'd say probably like 2012 or 13, we start with like a little dinner with like 100 people. And yeah. It's turned into, I think we have the Wasserman playbook. Yeah. Well, well, today we have unquestionably the best party of Super Bowl weekend always. Yeah. And, you know, we don't, we don't sell tickets. You know, it's, it's only for, you know, our important business partners, you know, the athletes, celebrities, artists that kind of, you know, kind of make fanatics what it is. Um, it's, you know, it, 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 it's fun to see what it's developed into. We'll have, you know, our closest 800 friends there. Um, I think if, if I, I think I'd say this year for the first time, if I let, let everybody in that I know who's hit me, it's probably 5,000 people this year. I've li like, I'm going to actually Jesus. turn my phone off maybe tonight yeah. and just not respond to anyone and just say, oh, I didn't get your message. So if I didn't respond to you, I probably just didn't see your message and, and, uh, that's where we stand. But the part, the party's great. I know, you know, when we did the last year we did in Miami, so many great people came. It was, it was, it was a blast. And obviously having the Super Bowl in LA is amazing. And I mean, so many great people. Got incredible weather. You should I'm be so, doing your podcast so glad live this from our worked party. Out. You, are you coming to our party on Saturday? I'm coming to your party. I'm you, not doing a podcast. You're, you're gonna you're gonna like our party. I'm excited. You, you're to come gonna to have your a lot. Party. You're gonna have a lot of fun. All right. Well, can we? We should do this every year. I think. I look forward. I to I like it. I like how you think about stuff. I say that in the least kiss sassy way possible. Well, I appreciate. My, so I think my, a lot of people my, just they achieve stuff and then they think I'm good. I don't have to keep thinking about. I'm what's never next. good. I'm but, never good. But there's then I'm there's never a good. Small group of people are like, what's next? What's next? What's next? And. You know, it's, it's funny. I see it now because I am, I, I hate to admit this, at, at 49, um, I'm not a kid anymore, even though I like to still yeah. act like a kid sometimes. But I now see people, and I see people, so many people have been so successful financially. And it's like two-thirds of the people, like they're good. They've, you know, they've made a ton of money and they're kind of like, they don't have the killer instincts anymore. Yeah. For me, I don't give a shit about money. I care about winning. I care about building something massive. Like when I tell you money does not factor into my, like whatever, do I live a good life? Of course. But I don't, money is not a driver in the slice, but I'm completely driven by like wanting to compete, wanting to win. And look, here's the reality. I say this all the time. Like I was the world's worst student. I was a horrible athlete. Yeah. But I was pretty good at working. And so yeah. like, this is my way of competing. So, you know, I'm never satisfied. Like, you know, no matter how good the results I put up, I'm like, okay, that sucked. What's next? How do we do it better? And so if we have a record year, I'm like, okay, well, here are all the things we didn't do. How do we do that better? So I'm always pushing. That's like, like to me, if I actually had athletic skills, which I've none of, I'd be a pretty good athlete because I would never quit. I'd be unrelenting. <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a sport for you, like racquetball. I don't know. I'm just not athletic. Golf? Nothing? Uh, no. God, God, hold on. You have to be patient for golf. Golf, I'd be, go, golf I'd be like, vi I, I played, I actually you played. played some poker in your life? I, I've never played poker. I played guts for the first time okay. this, this, uh, this past Sunday night. Um, I, I didn't do well, but I actually liked the game and learned. Um, all right. Congrats on everything. Good to see you. Appreciate it. Back at you, brother. All right. That's it for the podcast. Thanks to Verno and House and Michael Rubin. Don't forget to go check out the great piece Jonathan Sharks wrote for the uh, ringer.com. Don't forget to, um, to go to the ringer.com. Don't forget to check out the Ringer Podcast Network. And uh, there's a chance House and I are going to pop on the gambling feed tomorrow to talk some bets and things like that. But uh, I will be there. Prestige TV podcast Sunday night right after winning time. And then Russell and I on Sunday night as well. So that is the schedule. Enjoy the weekend. And I'll see you on Sunday.